0: This is episode 314 of The Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase and Joel will take a look at the photograph, as well as go over the week in movie trailers, and have a special segment. All that and more, this episode starts right now. What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of The Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Chase Lee, and uh, this is episode 314. And if you are uh, new to the show and you decide to take a chance on us and looking for a movie podcast to satisfy your movie urges and hearing a couple of people just discuss movies and analysis uh, uh, or, you know, whatever, it's it's late, guys. Uh, uh, do all that, then uh, you, you've hit the right place. And I think you've uh, found the right podcast, hopefully You can stick around throughout the entire thing. Uh, Like I said, this is 314. We will be going over the photograph as our main uh, review. Uh, We'll be going over uh, some of the trailers that drop throughout the week. And we have a special segment, but I'll let Joseph uh, go ahead and introduce that. When we get to that portion of the show, it will be quite the discussion. So I implore you to stick around. Uh, Before I throw it over to Joseph over there, uh, if you guys could like this episode, subscribe to the feed, uh, spread this around and let people know. Uh, What is up? And this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to. Uh, And just another reminder, we are on anchor.fm. And we have a voice message link in the description below. If you you guys would like to leave us a voice message, uh, answer a question or whatever, we will do that live on air. And you don't have to do it, but you can choose to do so if you must. So, uh, yeah, I think that's all the um, housekeeping stuff. Joseph, how was your week, sir? Uh, It is middle of february can't believe it i feel like 2020 just started uh and <laughs> I, I feel like uh 2021 is just around the corner so uh how are you uh doing this week sir what's what's been going on over there we're
1: all we're all aging too quickly um yeah it's been good uh just kind of uh you know surviving uh another another week of work and and movies and uh, lo- uh, lots of good stuff has been happening for me recently um Within the next week, I am hoping to have a new writing, a new contrib- contributory writing kind of uh, position with SpectrumCulture.com, which is really exciting. Um, I have covered my first movie for them, and I have the second in the pipe uh, for this coming week. I think that my first review drops within the next week for them. So it's a documentary that I watched, and um, so that's super exciting i'm i'm uh, i'm hoping that that works out i'm in the sort of the probationary period i i do have to uh survive a couple of um a couple of articles before they before they consider me but uh still it's still very exciting and uh yeah so that's that's one big thing that happened this week um saw a lot of movies it's been it's a big 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 release weekend for movies as our friend mark will tell you uh mark dusick reviewed eleven new movies this week <laughs> so, that man just does not does not stop he does not stop for food or or anything rest' it's craziness and um, it's just reflective of mine too because i reviewed six movies this week the uh, and two of them were not even and most of them actually were not even the same ones he reviewed so yeah pretty crazy pretty crazy uh in addition to and i guess I'll just plug it now in addition to the one that we're reviewing now by tomorrow morning, I should have reviews for the photograph as well as, um, downhill, uh, the new Julia Louis Dreyfus, Will Ferrell movie horse girl on Netflix with Alison Brie. Also on Netflix, a Sean, the sheep movie farmageddon, uh, which is delightful, uh, truly delightful, uh, portrait of a lady on fire, which I saw this week incitement, which I also reviewed for Dallas So yeah, just lots of stuff, and um, and then just you know work shifts. Work's been work's been normal. Um, Let's see what else. Uh, That's about it. That's about it. This has been a busy week. So I haven't really. I mean, TV stuff. I'm just catching up with New Amsterdam with my parents, and that's about it. Uh, Very intense show, medical drama. That's uh, that's excellent, excellent show. Um, But yeah, other than that, I've been too busy to really have a personal life this weekend, <laughs> this week. So that's about it. And, um, yeah, that's, that was my week. What about yours? Uh,
0: th- this was a part two of my, uh, wonderful road to the new job. Right. So my last day at the, uh, the city of Dallas was on Tuesday. I mm. am no longer an employee there and I start my new job on So That's quite exciting. Uh, and the reason why I sound uh, a bit off and a little bit, uh, uh lethargic in my voice uh i, I had my colonoscopy this morning and mm. uh they you know they drug you you walk out of there you feel a little lightheaded you don't eat the day before so like you know there's that so i might be a little off today with my my grammar or my speech or basically what joel would call a normal podcast uh but i'm telling you right now <laughs> that uh, uh i uh I he, might be a he little, also becomes you know,
1: incredibly self-deprecating uh, <laughs> that's true uh yeah but
0: uh i i might be a little slow i'm just uh letting you guys know but uh yeah that's uh that's what happened today and I, i'm i'm comfortable telling you guys that i mean hell i recorded a podcast episode from a hospital bed one time you guys know uh my medical stuff but um yeah so i started my new job on monday so that's that is quite fun uh i don't know how it's gonna go in terms of how many screenings i can make and everything because uh I asked them what time I start on Monday, and they said 9.30. I was like 9.30? that means i wouldn't be done till six thirty and if it's you know a busy day, I may not be done until seven, and most of the screenings that are around Dallas are seven, so it may be very possible that I might have to take a, a back seat to screenings for a while and just uh go pay the ones that Joel and I see uh for the the show and if that's mm. the case, then that's the case, and you know when you're when you're starting a new job like that, you have to you know, you got to prove yourself. So we'll, we'll see. Um, Yeah. There's usually, uh,
1: there's usually about six months where with a new job, you just got to play ball, you know, you just got to be a team player. Yeah.
0: And and Joel knows, and Joel knows this. And so if I can only see the thing that we're reviewing during the week, then that's all I can do. Um, Right. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. uh, But I am excited. Nonetheless, Uh, things I caught up on just the normal shows and everything. uh, But since I was home, I got to see uh, a, a couple of things, I think. Uh, the only thing I remember watching in full, because I, I, I've been doing nothing but just sleeping and <laughs> doing whatever, but um, I caught up with Super Size Me 2. And mm. I am a huge fan of the first one. I've seen it a million times, and Morgan Spurlock is one of those filmmakers that like made me want to do uh, documentaries way back when. So uh, it was good. I liked it. It was uh, another insightful look into the fast food industry, which was uh, funny because he was starting his own fast food business and uh, being transparent with his customers. I thought it was really well-informed and really entertaining, and I want him to make more of this stuff. I, I know he's he did that series for FX, that 30 days thing, uh, but he kind of he kind of takes a, bite, a back seat now. But uh, I, I wish he would do more stuff like this.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I didn't see that one. I, I did want to see it. Um, I did want to see it, so
0: yeah it's uh it's uh documentaries are like one of my guilty pleasures. I love watching that stuff, so uh, I saw it on Amazon Prime. And I was like, well, hot dog i'm uh definitely a
1: <laughs> catch up get ahead.
0: up on that <laughs> so uh yeah, I did that, and I saw a couple of movies uh one I was requested uh to review, and then another one uh I got a link sent to, but you guys can't get that review until March fourth uh that review is extraordinary. Uh, with Will Forte, uh, and it comes from Cranked Up Films. Uh, it's the genre division of Good Deed Entertainment. Hmm. And, yeah, because I, I, can't, I can't talk about that until the 4th of March, but I saw that, and then I got requested to review something on Amazon Prime from a director, uh, producer, writer, cinematographer, editor extraordinaire that did everything on the movie. Wow! Uh, and usually when people ask for requests, I'm like, listen – if you if you want a review, I'm gonna give it to you straight up. And I, it sometimes it scares me, Joel, because since <laughs> I do video reviews, my face is exposed. And right. so if they spread it around and let they let the the crew see it or whatever, they know what I look like. They know where I'm at. They know my name. It's scary stuff. But just just darken
1: cool. your face and digitize your voice, man. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay. I, I can be a, like one of those. Um, uh, you could be you could be, uh, Banks, you could be the Banksy of movie reviews from now on. Uh, I, I mean, oh, that'd be per- it. Wouldn't be it? Perfect. Wouldn't be much of a disguise because suddenly your ch- your channel turns into a guy with uh with a darkened face and digitized voice, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then they know you are. But still,
0: yeah, exactly. I could just do the uh, anonymous <laughs> reviews that they do in the uh, reenactment of like FBI interviews. <laughs> like, yes. <exactly>. Oh, hello. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it should. Uh, yeah, it was it it was it was uh, interesting because uh, I haven't gotten one of those in a while. Mm. There was one time where I got two of them back to back, and one of them I liked, one of them I did not like. And the filmmaker that I sent the review of, I did of the one I hated, didn't really hear from him again. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's it it's not it's not easy to make something. It's not easy to put yourself out there like that. I give the mad respect. If you go on my YouTube channel right now, you can see all the crappy movies I did during film school and. I'm not going to even sit here and defend them cuz some of them are garbage. So, I get how hard it is uh to make a movie, but if you're going to, like if if Joel was approached the same thing, he would be like, "Listen, I'm going to be honest mm. with, uh, about the movie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm going to give you, you know, what I really think about it. And some of these that I receive are truly awful, and I feel bad for, you know, ripping in a new one, but at the same time, I don't want to I don't want to mislead people, you know? So it's it, it's just one of those kind of tricky things i'm always up front with people when i get requests like that so it's very strange to do it because i know that they're they're looking at my face and if i say like oh this is bad change it to this and stuff like it's it's not a fun feeling so it's it's very <laughs> very strange uh, yeah and so got yeah done with those two documentary yeah that was about it uh, i'm kind of just uh coasting it until monday but then of course on wednesday Saw the photograph with uh, Mr. Lakeith Stanfield and Issa Ray, uh, two of my favorite up and coming performers. And so, Joel, I think this is a perfect uh, segue to review the film.
1: Yes. So, the photograph uh, is directed by Stella Meggie, who previously brought us a film I didn't see. I heard okay things about everything, everything with, um, oh gosh, uh, A Manless Stenberg, I think was in that one. And, oh,
0: that, that was one with uh, Nick Robinson, right?
1: Uh, i think so yes yeah yeah that was before uh before this before the love simon days right so Um, that
0: that actually i saw that one and i didn't know that she did that one prior that one was that one was fine it wasn't like anything it it was definitely uh better than what i thought it was because when you look at that Mm. poster i was like man this is giving me some nicholas sparks vibes i don't know if i really (laughs) want to go down this route so it wasn't Terrible.
1: Well, speaking of Nicholas Sparks vibes, um, <laughs> the photograph uh, is written and directed by Stella Maggie. It's not based on any sort of Nicholas Sparks book. In fact, it is. In fact, it is an original screenplay, as much as this screenplay can be original. Uh, it is not based on pre-existing material, so it's original. Uh, but this one stars Issa Rae and Lakeith Stanfield as Mr. Lee over here. Just said, um, Ray plays May. Uh, a woman who is, who has just become a curator of a museum and Stanfield plays Michael, who is a uh, reporter for the Republic. Uh, they both live in New York and, uh, there is a photograph that brings them together. Um, the photograph belongs, uh, initially to Isaac played by Rob Morgan, who is a retired fisherman living out in New Orleans, having been kind of screwed over by, by, um, British petroleum after the, uh, the oil spill. And that was the original subject of Michael's argument or argument <laughs> argument. I'm going to be off the game, off my game tonight. Uh, two guys, I'm sorry, his original article. Um, and, uh, but it changes once he discovers, uh, Isaac's old flame, Christina played by, um, I've actually forgotten the name of the actress. I apologize, but, uh, So basically, the story is that they parted ways, Isaac and Christina, many years ago. And now Michael has decided to take it upon himself to find her. And the process learns that she had passed away, but that her daughter is, in fact, May. And um, so they kind of form a connection while he's doing research for this article, which is kind of a human interest story. And uh, about, this, uh, about this museum and about the pictures and, and all of that. And they fall in love. And it's a romance. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty much it. It's a, it's, a, it's a simple story. It's a very simple movie. Simple romance. Um, and in fact, it's too simple. Uh, <laughs> there are two movies here kind of at war with each other. There's the one in the present between Stanfield and Ray. And there's the one in the past uh, between the younger version of Isaac, played by Elon Noel... And, uh, Christina. And, uh, yeah. So these pretty much play out as you would imagine. Christina has ambitions of her own and her mother is not really super, uh, like a fan of Isaac's lack of prospects. So she's essentially looking for a way to escape, but she maybe doesn't want to hurt Isaac in the process. Ultimately, You know, she has to make her own decision. And in the present, you have kind of a reverse situation. Michael is called upon to uh, potentially take a job in London. And that causes complications that are already kind of complicated because May is not great with commitment. So that's kind of the the setup here. Um, It sounds about as predictable as you'd think. And that's pretty much the only way to approach this movie, uh, because I think that these could have been half decent stories on their own. But smashed together like this, I don't think that the movie does them any favors. Um, the story in the past pretty much only informs the story in the present, because the characters in the past don't really mean anything except to mean something to the characters in the present, and the story in the present is pretty much a reflection entirely of the story in the past, so it doesn't even work on its own without understanding what came before, and that's because. May is her mother's daughter. Her mother's daughter, and Michael is his own person. So, of course, that's the uh, that's the rub, right? So, it's a pretty typical romance. Uh, I think it is slightly elevated by Stanfield and Ray, both quite good here. In fact, they are better than the material really like needs them to be. Um, it's pretty tired overall, but they are quite good, especially Stanfield, who has this sort of intensity as an actor that is really palpable in his, in some of his best performances. Uh, and I've heard the reports of his performance in short term 12. That's the one that, you know, brought him to the forefront. I've kind of made clear in the past, I haven't seen that movie and I know I need to, cause I know it's the one that, that kind of started everybody on him, but I've been able to see it since then in movies like uncut gems and get out, um, and, and other performances, uh, like that. So I definitely get it. Um, And he's a really good actor, and he's good here. Um, And Ray's pretty good, too. Uh, You know, we were both left unimpressed by her in Little. Um, But I think that this year she's going to really kind of break out of that mold. She's going to be in this, and she's going to be in The Lovebirds, which is her back-in-comedy form, which seems like a lot better than Little was. Uh, Here, she's definitely going dramatic. I mean, she's a primarily comedic actress she doesn't she does have some of that here she you know the performance is a little playful clearly she's improvising a few times but uh it's primarily dramatic and it's an impressive turn for her uh at this point in her career which is still kind of getting started i mean she's she's a vet of hbo with shows like insecure and stuff she's done movies in in the past couple of years but she's breaking out she's taking her first lead roles in something um This this year. And um, and I think that this is an impressive first step. It's going to be interesting to see this, especially back to back with the lovebirds. So then this is a good pairing, too. They have good chemistry with each other. Um, I just feel like it's the screenplay that does this in Uh, Maggie, you know, has has something of an eye, I suppose. It's not a it's not a particularly terrific example of aesthetic pleasure or anything like that. Uh, It kind of doesn't really take advantage of the New York setting. It just kind of sets a lot of the stuff in interiors so that it hides that. Um, and in fact, there is there is a climactic scene set in London that kind of does the same thing. You know, you see a big wide shot of Big Ben, but you don't really see anything else that would suggest that it's London. Um, and I feel like that's probably a limitation of the budget. Uh, so I don't know if Maggie had the resources or maybe the control of the resources to be more imaginative, Um with how she moves her camera. And I think that her screenplay really lets everybody down here. Unfortunately, there's a sense here just of everything pretty much playing out exactly how you would think it would. Um, And as good as the performances are, I'm not entirely sure that the movie does itself any favors by having subplots either. There's a couple of, a couple of them here, like the, uh, the romance that develops between each of their assistants played by Kelvin Harrison jr. And, um, um, wow. Yet again, I am just forgetting names. Um, and I don't have anything open to help me. I'm, I apologize guys, but basically both of their assistants kind of fall in love. And meanwhile, you have the comic relief of Lil Rel Howery, who plays, uh, Michael's brother and Tiona Paris, who plays his sister-in-law, um, the brother's wife, of course. And the kids are really funny. It actually does the best scene involves the kids when, um, very suddenly may learn something about Michael's past that maybe she doesn't want to know yet. Um, or maybe would have liked to known already, uh, either way she learns it. And it's really funny because of the kids that are performing as those kids. Uh, they're really funny and naturalistic and, uh, yeah it's a it's a funny scene best scene in the movie I would say uh but otherwise, it just is kind of a movie that that spins its wheels until it gets to the big reunion at the end. Yes, they are eventually pulled apart by certain complications and there's a big revelation that's not even remotely surprising involving uh the the origins of the photograph and um, uh and perhaps the recipient the, the identity of the recipient of a letter that may has been given to deliver, um, along with her own letter letter that she can't deliver the other letter until she's read her own. And it's probably not going to be any sort of surprise to anybody what's at the end of that tunnel. Um, and that's the problem. There's really no surprises here. There's, there's some solid performances. There's, there's, uh, certainly a heart to this movie. It is, it isn't, uh, it isn't cheating enormously. um, to get us to, to feel things. It's not super manipulative. It's just, it's just manipulative enough to be something that you just kind of watch and then you just forget about within a week. Um, it's not a movie that I could particularly see watching again myself. I do like the leads, but unfortunately I think it's just kind of sitting there on screen. I wasn't into it, unfortunately. Um, so I'm going to give the photograph a C. I know that I'm kind of in the minority on this. It's fairly popular. If you go see it, I hope you like it more than I did, uh, but I didn't get much out of it. So that's my, that's my grade. I'm giving it a C. Chase, what do you got?
0: Yeah, so you know, going into the movie, I, I didn't really expect much, to be honest with you. The trailer didn't wow me over. It kind of looked like a Nicholas Sparks film that I would have no fun watching, and this is coming from someone who actually loves stuff like The Notebook. Uh, it, a lot of people don't know this about me. I love romance films. I love you know, the corny rom-coms that just make your heart feel so happy, but they don't make any sense whatsoever. And then I also love the really depressing stuff like, you know, Blue Valentine or whatever that has this kind of raw realism to it. And you just feel depressed afterwards. You want to go cry in a corner and never uh, see the light of day again. So I like both variations of movies. And I even like stuff like this, just the kind of, you know, blockbuster generic entertainment uh, that's thrown out there every, you know, Valentine's day or, every so often and people eat up and they move on. I still like that stuff. And, you know, the trailers didn't wow me over, but the reason why I was excited was because of Lakeith Stanfield and Issa Rae. I'm going to go ahead and uh, uh, get on my high horn for a second here and just uh, continue to uh, uh, prop this guy up into, uh, you know, to a point where people uh, get sick and tired of me talking about him. Until he actually, you know, wins an Oscar, he gets to be in more films like this. But LaKeith Stanfield has been outstanding ever since uh, he he kind of showed showed himself in Short Term Twelve. That was like his great supporting role. He did a lot of supporting work from that point on, and then his first kind of real main role was uh, Crown Heights back in 2017. I remember watching that, being blown away uh, by his performance there. It was also the same year as Get Out, and of course his first kind of real uh, main lead uh, romance film. It was a weird film, but it was Sorry to Bother You.
1: Mm, And so, oh yeah, I I should have mentioned that one. Yeah,
0: right. And so it was it was that point where I was like, this guy is a a great lead. Like he can be a great romantic lead. He's got like this suaveness to him. He can do it. And of course. Yeah, uh, uh, Joel and I both loved him in Uncut Gems, and mm. he was also in Knives Out. I forget he was even in that. Oh, that's but right. Just so
1: many people right in that
0: one. <laughs> right. So he, he, but he's just a guy that can kind of get into a movie, blend in, and lose himself into where people don't really recognize him. He's still kind of underground to us film nerds, but like a lot of people don't know who he is. And so this was the movie. I thought that the photograph was going to be the movie to propel him to the top because this is a film being released by universal. It's mainly just him and Issa Rae going back and forth. He is the lead male actor in this film. This is a big deal for him. And so I'm hoping this does it big. And with Joel thinking, uh, or, you know, giving it the grade that he gave it, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and argue with that because I, I see his points and I see, you know, the fact that Joel thinks it's kind of just average, Mark actually rated below that. And so I totally get that. And I saw the film and I didn't really know what to make of it because I was kind of on the same boat as Joel where I was like, and eh, it's, it's fine. It's really nothing uh, to write home about, but I really like uh, the performances in it. And then I sat on it for a day and then I ended up liking it um, a bit more. Uh, I still think there's some issues with it. But I'm going to give it a slightly higher grade uh, than Joel. And so here was kind of my thought process around it. With uh, Stella uh, Stella Meggie and her kind of overall vision and, you know, the written words of this film, as far as romance films go, it's just fine overall. There's really nothing too much to it. I appreciate the creativity and going back and forth between the timelines, you know, that – that's not easy to do when you time jump like that, but I think overall she did a fine job. As far as the you know, visually speaking, the visual language uh of this narrative, there's really nothing too exciting. So there is that. Uh a couple of the negative things that I, I wanted to get out of the way before I kind of dive into uh what I really appreciated about what she did was the the time length. Uh one of the first things that the misses said when we got out of the movie was the movie felt longer than it should. And I was like, yeah, it felt like it was two hours plus, and it was only an hour and 45 minutes. And I think that has to do with the fact that you have two of these timelines playing out against each other. Kind of like what Joel was talking about. And I actually preferred the past timeline over the present timeline. And when you run into that problem and the present timeline overtakes the past and the present one is actually, there's not much going on. It's the, Initial stages of a relationship, and it's really thin, you're stretching it out to kind of pad out that runtime, and you can feel it. And so, that was kind of the conclusion I led to as to why I'm a slightly ding this movie for me. Was I don't know whether you, you know, take out the present and focus on the past, or you know, um, make it a little bit more interesting and have more depth to it. I don't know what you can do to fix it, but since the present timeline. Uh there was some good stuff going on there, but it kind of runs its course. It runs itself a little thin to where it just it feels like it's way longer than it should. And for a movie being an hour and 45 minutes, I don't think that's you know the um, criticism you want to get. You want to make sure that that movie, uh, for all of its time, feels appropriate, feels right, feels tightly edited, and nothing is wasted. So that's just kind of my thoughts on that. The one thing I really appreciate – well, there's a couple things I appreciated about uh, Stella and Maggie's um, kind of kind of uh, uh, themes kind of the themes that she was playing with uh, I don't really see this a lot in kind of like big blockbuster um, kind of romance fair if you will the main theme that she really kind of focused on was like regret and really uh, not being able to speak up and telling someone that you love someone at the appropriate time and the fact that too much time has passed on to where it's just too late at that point and you you just have this like uh weighted sense of regret on your shoulders throughout your entire life. And I really got the message of this film when we got to the end scene with Rob Morgan's character, which I believe was probably the best uh performance and line delivery in the entire movie. Uh that was a really heartfelt moment and that made me kind of realize what she was kind of going for. And it's the it's the kind of idea of time and how it can be a uh, a blessing in a relationship and how it can you know strengthen it and you can have all this time with your loved one but if uh it, it could it work in the in it's you know the opposite end too where time is the enemy and if too much time is passed on and you know you don't feel like you ended up with the one you love it feel it feels like it's too late and time is passed and it's really kind of sad and so i i just i really liked just that short little scene to kind of highlight what she was going for so i really um i really appreciate that um another thing i really liked about her choice in music was it was i i would i would i would equate it to like jazz or like a very aloof kind of loose you know kind of jazz that plays on in the background and the reason why i like that versus you know like traditional romantic fare that's really like just very uplifting and it's just bright and fluffy all the time. I like this kind of jazz approach because it makes us feel relaxed as the audience, as we're watching these characters form this relationship, they feel relaxed on screen. We feel relaxed watching them. And it's almost like, you know, it's just this easygoing uh, thing that they have going on. And we just, we like watching them do this and it plays out in the other kind of fashion where they will, um, kind of make the jazz a little bit more anxiety driven and a little bit chaotic and it actually is reflective of the chaos internally that some of the characters are facing uh as they're kind of finding out new information so uh i just want to point that out the music is really well handled but uh yes i agree with joel overall if you look at the grand scope of things it's not really anything to write home about but i think for delivering a uh romance film like this in a uh you know blockbuster fashion and it's a wide release movie it gets the job done and I think a lot of people are going to enjoy this the performances in this movie are uh, quite good Uh, I like everyone in this movie Lakeith Stanfield uh, I just want to um, I need to meet that man one day because he's he's just one of my favorites to to watch I want to shake his hand just tell him that I I've been a huge fan of him for almost 10 years now which is crazy Um, but yeah the cool thing with Lakeith Stanfield is that he has this kind of kind of a charming um demeanor about him. He is really intense with his performance, but he can he can draw it back to where like he's he's just really focused on like who he's talking to or you know what he's doing in the scene and he has that kind of charming kind of suave, very lovable presence about him. And so it works in a romance film like this. Issa ray is the interesting one because she's usually the comedic relief in films she's usually the one doing the improv making the jokes and this one she's reserved and it's it's interesting to see her kind of play out her character in her performance this way because yeah she's got some improv moments and she's um she's got some you know kind of icebreaker moments where she makes lakeith laugh or you know she makes us laugh in the situation but For the most part, she plays this kind of totally different character that we're not really used to. And I still need to see Insecure, uh, the TV show. That's my fault. Uh, I'm assuming on that show it's kind of a mix of both of comedy and drama. But for someone that's only seen her in movies thus far, uh, I like this route that she's kind of going with this where she can still be funny and she can still be lovable um, and really uh, just a great performer but it's nice to see her kind of rain stuff back a little bit, kind of absorb the emotion and scenes and kind of just see her react to it. It was just really interesting to see her reactionary takes to whatever was happening. But as far as a couple goes, they do uh, have some pretty great chemistry. And uh, I, I think that's kind of the magic of both of those. If you put them in uh, this movie with a different um, co-lead, then uh, they would still be just as charming just because they're that good. But you have them two together. It just makes the movie a little bit better. And uh, I agree with Joel. Elevates the material. All the supporting cast is great. Uh, I love the past uh, versions of May's uh, parents. Uh, they were all uh, really just striking. And they really just you know gave it their all with their performances. And then, uh, like I said earlier, Rob Morgan, who plays the older version of her father, Really great stuff going on there. Um, kind of pull, pulls out the last stops um, towards the end of the movie, but still effective nonetheless. I think everyone does a great job, kind of selling us this, um, you know, romance film that does kind of remind us of like a Nicholas Sparks movie, but they elevate to something that can feel a little bit more grounded and uh, a little bit more relatable um, to where we can actually be attached to these people and not just some, you know. Hollywood eyes, fairy tale, uh, character that doesn't have any grounding in reality whatsoever. And I think that's all I wanted to touch upon. Um, cause the cinematography is not really anything to write home about. Uh, I already talked about the runtime. So yeah, uh, the photograph for me, I ended up, you know, liking it a little bit more than Joel. There are some issues with the, the runtime and just the, uh, the stretching of the story that just, it feels a little bit weighed down. I, I would settle on a B minus. I was either going to go C plus B And I wanted to give it the leg up just because, um, uh, of the two leads. If it was, if it was literally anyone else, I would have immediately dropped it down to a, a C C plus. Um, but I just, I like the fact that, uh, whoever was the casting director chose these two people and they went for it. And, you know, if you think about it in, in, in a bigger scope in terms of marketing, Lakeith and Issa are not big names. They really aren't. And so I'm really glad they took a gamble on both of them uh, to prop them up and make them um, big stars. Finally to the, to the general public uh, you know, the people that have never seen like short term 12 or uncut gems or even the crazy, sorry to bother you um, uh, or even uh, Issa's uh, show. This is a great opportunity to do that. If you want to see this movie during Valentine's Day weekend uh, or just as a romance film with your significant other, this is honestly not a bad pick, um, and I would would recommend it. So that is my take on the
1: photograph. Joel,
0: are you ready to jump into some trailers, sir?
1: Surely. I've seen three of the four that you're going to talk about. So, yeah. I well, I...
0: I'm, a, I'm a little disappointed that you haven't seen this one I'm about to talk about because it is weird as I, f. So,
1: I stayed away on purpose. Go ahead, <laughs> okay,
0: okay, uh, uh make, makes sense. Um, so this one uh comes from A24, it is directed and written by Texas native Joel and I get excited when we see his name, David Lowry. Um, you know, he brought us uh Ghost Story, Pete's Dragon. Um, you know, this guy's a really great independent and even a blockbuster filmmaker, uh, with Pete's Dragon. But he is back once again with A24 working with them, and this one is a fantasy retelling of the medieval story of uh, Joel. Is it Gawain? Uh,
1: Gawain. Gawain, I think. Yeah, as I said.
0: Okay, so the story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. I don't know anything of this story because uh, I'm a simpleton, and I only know about King Arthur because I'm a simpleton. <laughs> uh, that's the only story I know. But it's it's cool to know about other medieval kind of fantasies. Uh, out there. Cause I think this is kind of one of those underrated uh, genres. And so, Hey, if David Lowry is going to tackle it, I'm all in because this, this trailer is weird as hell. Uh, there is a lot going on. Um, a lot of great visuals, a lot of great, you know, production design, just it's so rich and lavish and just visuals. And I have no idea what's going on in the story. Cause it's more of a teaser trailer to get you interested and give you uh, a sense of tone and vibe and atmosphere i'm all in man this this is great um like i said i don't really know much of the story but in terms of just visual scope and seeing how much david lowry has like just elevated himself it just it kind of blows my mind because uh peach dragon was the first attempt at having like a bigger budget and i thought he did a swell job with that but the green knight is still technically like an independent film it's it's super small but it just looks really expensive. It looks really epic. And so I I'm in, man, I'm in, I'm into the weirdness. I'm into the, the cast. We have date, uh, Dev Patel, Alicia Vikander, Joel Edgerton, which is, uh, uh, you know, a nice go-to there. Um, those are the three big names. And so th- this, is crazy, man. I, it was a trailer that came out of nowhere cause I had no idea Lowry was making anything else. Uh, but I am, I'm am wholly impressed. I will say that. So, the Green Knight is the one that uh, Mr. Joel did not see, um, and so uh, you, are you just purposely staying away from this one? Or- yeah,
1: yeah. Once I kind of got the vibe that people were talking about in trailers, I was like, you know what? I want this one to surprise me, and I didn't see okay. it. I didn't see it in front of anything that I saw, so I was because I. I mean, I might have ended up seeing it in front of Portrait of a Lady on Fire on Wednesday, but I made it in there just in time for like the the last trailer to end before the 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 movie played. So, I didn't see any of the trailers. I might have seen that. I I don't know. Um but yeah, I mean I, it didn't play in front of downhill, it didn't play in front of the photograph. So, I I didn't I didn't see it in front of every, anything. And once I kind of got the vibe that it was really weird and and surprising, I was like, "You know what? You know what? I want this one to surprise me. So, unless I see it in front of something, I'm not going to I'm not going to um to seek it out. So, so what, and that's uh, kind of that's kind of the same thing with two of these others, but um, where where I just I just happened to see them in front of movies. I didn't really seek the trailers out. One of them I did, and we'll get to that one last. But
0: right, um, quick question: So, The Green Knight is coming out at the end of May. Do you think that is a uh, ballsy move from A twenty four to release this indie film that looks like a Game of Thrones? kind of epic in the middle of summer like that do you think people will flock to it because it kind of gives off like this uh you know gigantic medieval epic vibe and do you think they're going to be really disappointed when it's going to probably be weird as hell
1: i mean not having seen the trailer i can't say it sounds like probably something a little different than your typical big production is going to give them uh so it depends on word of mouth i mean a twenty four doesn't make blockbusters, you know, that kind of movie. They'll they'll they make movies that occasionally make money, but they don't they don't make that kind of thing. So I feel like, I feel like it's probably very artsy, um, uh. And I have a feeling that you know he made Pete's Dragon in part because he that was a personal thing for him, uh. But he didn't make it to make big bucks. You know, it wasn't right. it wasn't a thing where he wanted to go into the the studio system and make a big studio movie that was a little more personal even though it ended up being a visual effects thing um and people know it for that i think that he makes he makes movies out of his personal kind of need to do so and so this you know i mean it it could have it could have really good visual effects i don't think it's going to be a, a blockbuster type thing
0: Interesting. I, 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 think, I think people are going to get uh, uh, tricked again, like they mm-hmm. did with uh, Gretel and Hansel, where they're going to go in expecting one thing, and then they're going to get something totally different. They're mm-hmm. going to walk out halfway through. So, right. uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to see it. I'm glad they're plopping it in the middle of summer. It gives us that nice uh, uh, palate cleanser from all the um, bombastic, you know, uh, big blockbusters that we mm-hmm. will see. So, uh, Speaking of Deb Patel, this is a great segue into his next film. Uh, the personal history of David Copperfield. This is uh the uh, film based on the novel by Charles Dickens. This one stars Dev Patel and uh he is having a heck of a year. And so uh I, I like this trailer quite a bit. It it kind of uh has the same vibe as as the same trailer I saw uh for the Jane Austen movie, uh Emma, mm-hmm. where it's just it's got that quirk to it. It's got the wonderful production design and costuming. It's a period film. Um looks like it's gonna be uh you know just a great family film, a comedy, a drama. I just I love those things cuz they just have a little bit of everything uh and it's one of one of two movies this week that used the searchlight pictures logo <laughs> for the first time so that was fun. So I
1: saw this trailer in front of Downhill which is oh, okay. which is Searchlight Pictures. Searchlight, yeah. So of course I'd already seen the other trailer uh <laughs> that's from Searchlight Pictures this week. Uh and that one played in front of it as well. But I will say I mean, first of all, this movie looks excellent. Yeah. Uh, and it's from uh, director Armando Iannucci, who brought us The Death of Stalin a couple, of week- a couple years ago. Uh, this one's very different from that. But it's... I'm glad that between this and Emma, which I definitely plan to see, um, that, pe- that filmmakers are kind of making these novels funny again.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: because that's what they are. I mean, they are... Uh, David Copperfield is, is a really good, good-hearted Dickens novel which you don't come across often. He's usually one about the the downer ones, but um but this is this is obviously an even lighter take on that and I love that basically we're embracing how funny and weird some of these stories were that that were told uh because it it feels it just feels great to to be approaching a lot of these classic authors like this. And so yeah. Um, I mean, I'll let you speak, but I just wanted to say this looks terrifically funny. The cast is excellent. The uh, I mean, just top to bottom, great cast. Not not nearly the best cast of of the trailers this week, but uh, but a really starry one too. I mean, you got Hugh Laurie, and uh, even the the older version of Finn Wolfhard in The Goldfinch, and Aaron Barnard is in this. Um, and I forget I forget all the other people, but anyway. Uh it's a great cast and it's and it's a fabulous trailer so I can't wait for this.
0: Yeah, it was just like one of those pleasant things that, you know, came out during the week after all the uh crazy controversial ones that came out. Mm-hmm. Uh that was the nice kind of pl- uh palate cleanser, but uh, speaking of controversy, Joel, did you know that there was a movie called The Hunt that was supposed to come out last year <laughs> back in <laughs> September and then for some weird reason, this is really weird, for some weird reason people just said it was the most violent disgusting movie and they never saw it like that's kind of weird right (laughs) so um and so uh, universal has decided to take all that controversy uh quote-unquote controversy from the hunt last year and decided to slap it on their poster and uh, i give them full props for that because they're going head-on with the um uh all the talk that they had about their movie when no one actually saw it except for like maybe a handful of critics so Uh, The Hunt, if you guys remember, is a film uh, about 12 strangers that wake up in a clearing. They don't know where they are or how they got there. They don't know uh, that they've been chosen for a very specific purpose, The Hunt. So people are just hunting them for sport. And what is fascinating is that the first trailer that we got um, last year, I think around like August, uh, the August time because it was about a month before the movie came out, It looked like another Blumhouse film. It looked dark, twisted. It looked like The Purge uh, set in the woods. I mean, I was on board for it. Uh, Then people got upset and they're like, oh, my God, it's liberals hunting conservatives. Whatever shall we do? Um, And so now that Universal is kind of going head on into this movie, this this new trailer is completely different. And that's why I have to talk about it because now it's playing out more like a dark comedy. And playing out more of uh, a lighthearted, kind of gruesome take uh, on what what they presented to us last year. So it is extremely different in tone. And I liked it. uh, I like it either way. But since this is how the movie actually is, it makes the poster look uh, more uh, disturbing than it actually is. And so uh, that that's fascinating to me. But uh, the trailer to me plays out more like a dark comedy, which, you know, uh, Scott Mendelson, you and I follow. You know, he writes for Forbes and he said the exact same thing because he actually saw it. He's like, this plays out more like a lighthearted, dark comedy than a, a, a gruesome horror film that oh. you guys are making it out to be. Because guess what? No one has seen it. And so they took that first trailer, which was great marketing on their part. And they just would not shut up about it. And so now that it's taking a different approach
1: now. Um,
0: and they are, and, might...
1: and it also seems like they're having to reveal a little bit more about right. the plot. They, they had to. Yeah. They yeah had to. Because we didn't get the vibe that it was all kind of a game in the yes. first. I mean, I mean as much of a game as it is in the first trailer. So I have to wonder about a world in which we got this trailer first. Would this have happened Would we have already seen it? And so You know, just, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's a a better trailer. Uh, I think it's better put together than the first trailer. Uh, Certainly makes me want to see it even more. uh, And not just the, you know, and this is kind of what I was worried about, would I want to just see it on the basis of the fact that it was delayed? Uh, But now, I mean, it looks pretty cleverly plotted and uh, the cast looks like they're having a blast. And yeah, I mean, I I actually want to see it now just to see how it is. And that's, of course, that's going to be kind of a difficult thing because... It's gonna be impossible to talk about this movie without talking about the big elephant in the room. But you know, right. we're critics, we gotta we gotta do that. Uh and so this looks this looks like it's gonna be a little easier to do that, I think. Uh right than, than I mean, it might have li- been.
0: Well, I mean, if, if that's the plot, like we have to talk about it that mm-hmm. way. Like, we can't we can't just be like, well, it deals with two political parties. It's like, no, they straight up say in the trailer, it's a bunch of rich liberals just shooting conservatives, and like mm-hmm. that's what they're doing. And so but Speaking of the cast, I love this cast because it pulls from people um, that are a part of some of my favorite shows that I'm watching or have watched. We have Ethan uh, Supley, uh, which has always been a pleasure to watch. We have Emma Roberts uh, you know, from American Horror Story. Of course, Hilary Swank. Betty Gilpin uh, from GLOW. Justin Hartley from This Is Us. Ike Barinholtz from The Mindy Project. Glenn Howl- Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. They pulled from every TV show that has been popular or is popular, and they plucked one actor actors actress from it, and they put them in this movie, and I thought that was uh, awesome. So I'm glad they're giving all of those uh, people a chance to be in a movie like this, because they're all uh, mainly TV actors and performers, so that will be <laughs> awesome. But yeah, I, regardless if it was the first trailer or now this new trailer, I wanted to see it either way, so... That is The Hunt, and we actually get it in a little less than a month now, which is pretty great. Now, the last trailer uh, I want to talk about, and Joel's going to talk about as well, apparently is just drawing up some type of criticism online, and people hate Wes, Wes Anderson now, so I guess that's a thing. Uh, so this one's called The French Dispatch. Uh, it is about, or it, it tells a story about a love letter to journalists uh, set in the outpost of an American newspaper in the fictional 20th century French city that brings to life a collection of stories published in the French Dispatch uh, magazine. So, once again, Wes Anderson coming back, writer, director, and of course, grabbing every single actor and actress in Hollywood uh, that has ever existed because <laughs> that's what he does, and I will not fault him for that because he ha- apparently he has like the best persuasion of any director, and he's just, like, be my movie. And they're like, okay. Uh, and he's able to get all these wonderfully talented people, but yeah, uh, once again, you get people with, like, Saoirse Ronan, Timothee uh, Chalamet, Elizabeth Moss is in this, uh, Leo Sado, Bill Murray, Edward Norton, Willem Dafoe, Christoph, <laughs> Christoph Waltz, Tilda Swinton, Leib Schreiber, uh, Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, uh, Rupert Friend, Benicio Del Toro. Like, this is insane. It's it's definitely his most stacked cast I've seen uh, in quite some time, probably since, like, the Royal Tenenbaums. Um, he, he just likes to outdo himself, but... I love Wes Anderson. Uh, I love this trailer. I really have nothing more to say. He is the king of vibrancy. Uh, he is the king of symmetrical cinematography. He is the king of quirkiness. I really don't care what he does, Joel. I guess I'm biased because I will watch anything this guy touches. But this this looks fantastic. It kind of um, it kind of has a vibe of grand budapest meets the royal tenenbaums type of feel Mm um yeah where it's like a a mixture of both of those uh uh settings and locations mixed in with the characters and so that's that's kind of the vibe i got um with
1: wes anderson going black and white by the way which is really interesting i mean he's he's never done that before i i have a feeling that he must have seen shadow last year (laughs) from uh from Jean right. Nimou and, and realized, hey, there's another guy who uses color really well, and he went black and white and did it really well. I might as well, well do what, that too. <laughs> yeah, what's
0: interesting about Wes Anderson is that uh, a lot, you know, people don't know that when you film in black and white, it's totally different in lighting structure mm-hmm. than it is to uh, film in color. And when you look at Wes Anderson's movies and how meticulous uh, and technical he is, it seems like filming a black and white would be a, a breeze for him. Like it'd just be a, a, a an on and off switch for him. So I don't, I don't even think he had that big of a trouble to do it just because he's so um, precise when he does color photography mm-hmm. that I can only imagine that black and white photography. He's just like, yeah, I got it. And you're like, Wes, what the hell? It's like completely different. So um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the French dispatch looks great. It drops in July. Uh, I think, uh it's a few weeks after uh, some big blockbusters so it'll be interesting to see how it fares but Wes uh knows how to um strike up audiences and you know he, he he is an award you know nominee and stuff so he he knows how to bring in the people and i think even with something as kind of off kilter as like the isle of dogs which you know a lot not a lot of people are into stop motion animation nowadays He still was able to get a a nice crowd behind that film, and I think he'll do the same thing here. Um, And also, I just want to bring up the Isle of Dogs because it's great. But (laughs) uh, uh, yeah, this just looks like another great one. Uh, So, Joel, first of all, before uh, we get into your thoughts, why do you think he's getting a lot of pushback on the Twitter
1: uh i don't know people are dumb uh
0: <laughs> <laughs> people are dumb all right we're internet, signing
1: off now that's yeah, it yeah the the internet is a shapeless blob of nonsense uh <laughs> i i don't know i don't know all i know is that it looks amazing and i'm gonna try to i'm gonna find a way to make this our main review topic uh of some week it might be beginning of august but um but yeah i i, I can't wait it just So, I should tell people, just this past year, within the past few months, I finally saw Rushmore, which was one of my two blind spots. I still have not seen Bottle Rocket, which is their big start. Uh, But Rushmore became my favorite movie of theirs, and it's honestly, like, I watched it four times in, like, two weeks. So, I love that movie. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's their masterpiece, and I just absolutely adore it. So... Yeah. I mean, this looks great. I, them doing a, um, and this is also an anthology movie we should say. So it's, it's stories and it's basically Wes Anderson going Coen brothers when they did, uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs and love that movie. Can't wait to see what they have up their sleeves with this one because I mean, this cast is, I mean, I don't even like, you can't even list them all off the top of your head. Henry Winkler, Bob Balaban, Angelica Houston, Tony Revolori, Rupert Friend, Jason Schwartzman, Cesar France, Willem Dafoe. Um, I can't remember who you did or didn't name. That's how big the, the cast is. Uh, Liev Schreiber and all just all these people love it. I think that um, Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody, just an amazing cast. I mean, this is a this is a shoe-in for Best Picture. Uh, I think that this is going to get in considering Grand Budapest did. and uh, And I can't wait for that to happen. I think it looks superb and
0: that 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 would be pretty wild if this was the first year that uh disney changed the the names on the studios and did all that and ended up winning like the big prize at the (laughs) end of this year for the first first year
1: right right it's uh yeah it's great and uh they are they are terrific directors and i just uh, uh he's a terrific director they're they're terrific uh pairing him and him and these actors that he that he constantly works with like owen wilson and and all of that and um yeah I just I can't wait to see what he has up his up his sleeve so
0: and, and also we should uh, uh speaking of da- David Lowry as well uh, uh Wes Anderson is also a Texas native and I totally forgot about oh, that, that.
1: Right. because yeah. uh
0: uh you know he worked a lot with Luke and Owen Wilson they're mm-hmm. also from Texas so I'm telling you all the great all the great things come from the stage, Joel.
1: yeah exactly there we go <laughs> all right folks That was our review of the photograph that was us covering some of the trailers this week. When we come back from our short break, just 30 seconds, we are going to talk about our picks for the best performances of the 2010s. Yes, the top 10 performances from each of us of the 2010s, what's going to make our list, what's going to be the same, what's going to be different. I think you might be surprised. And uh, yeah, that's what's coming up. So stay tuned, guys, and we will be back. Folks, you just heard our reviews of the photograph, you heard some trailer coverage, and it's time to get into our other segment this week. We are going to talk about our picks for the 10 best performances of the 2010s. Now, this is quite a list to approach, and I think that Chase can agree with me on that. I mean, you're talking about you know hundreds of movies that you watch over the course of, of a decade and for some, thousands, so... Chase, how difficult was it to make this list for you? Um, because I know that for me, it was, it was pretty difficult. It took me a couple days, honestly, to, to get to a list that I felt was – that I was happy with. What about you? Was it, was it tough for you?
0: Yeah, so the way I approached it was uh, I kind of just looked at you know movies that really impacted me over the past you know, 10 years. And I really – I just wrote them all down. And I said, well, I like that performance. I like that one, that one. And so I had about, I think, 40 to 50. And so mm-hmm. I had to whittle it down to like, you know, 30 and 20. And then I left some out. And then I think I crafted the 10 that I remember I, I, t- I took away as I appreciated the art form of watching their performance. And I also remember my experience in the theater or when I first saw it and how stunned I was. And so that's kind of was just like how how – how much did the performance impact me as a viewer and as someone who loves this art form? And that's kind of how I approached it.
1: I did the same. I don't know if I had like a number that I started with uh, in terms of any, any, anything like that. Um, I didn't count them, but you know, I just kind of made the list and then I just put in names as I thought of them. Um, Ones that really, stuck with me that were seared in my brain for whatever reason, whether they be comic or dramatic or whatever. Um, and I certainly have, uh, I, I think I have mostly dramatic performances here. A couple of them though, are pretty, are pretty funny. Uh, I think that the, we kind of, we can underrate comedies when it comes to this kind of list. Um, and, and we
0: should also keep in mind that whatever we're about to say on this list is not going to reflect maybe even a hundred percent for next week. Maybe it's completely different.
1: Right. Usually, I mean, I, I I find that I am taking probably from my top five or top 10 of a, of a year, you know, something, or at least a movie from, uh, from my list. But yes, no, I mean the, the 10 movies uh, and they are all different movies. I should say that the performances from different movies, not all the movies are my top 10, you know, Um, there are certainly choices from my top 10 movies, Uh, that I did make, but, um, but maybe not as many as, as people are realizing. In fact, I'm looking here and uh, I think that I only have uh, three movies included that are on my top 10 that we're going to be talking about next week. So, and yes, that's next week's show guys. All uh, of the show is our picks for the best films of the decade. Uh, No review. I'm going to be coming back around the next week in my in my extra segment to a review of the Call of the wild because I do want to cover that one but next week is our our, uh, our films of the decade show. So this I wanted to fit into a, a section on its own and uh, so here's here's basically what we're gonna do. I, I don't know about chase. I didn't really number my list so I'm because I felt like you know I did have a top choice. I think people are going to be surprised by it. Uh, I did have a singular performance that I felt was the one that kind of – if it didn't tower over everyone else's, it's the one that has really stuck in my craw the most, if you will, uh, in a good way. I don't know if that's a positive or, or negative phrase, but that's that's how I thought of it. Um, and then I just had nine others, and I felt like putting them in an order from 10 to 2 was completely just uh, futile, just not just – not- useful or anything like that. And so basically we are kind of going to go in a, you know, Chase's number 10, my number 10 order. I don't know if chase is going to do 10, nine, eight, seven, and so forth. I'm just going to follow up his choices with my next choice, if that makes sense. So chase, I'm going to have you go first. That way I take us out of the episode. What is your first choice? Is it number 10 or is it simply your first choice.
0: Yeah. I didn't really have it uh, uh, listed in numbers. I just, ah. I had like you, like you said, the top one and I kind of just trickled down from there. Um, but you know, this was really difficult. I mean, I had to leave out stuff like Leonardo DiCaprio and Wolf of Wall Street. I had to leave out Natalie Portman and Black Swan. Chiwetel would tell and 12 years a slave uh, McConaughey and Dallas buyers club, Casey Affleck, Michelle Williams and Manchester by the sea. Brie Larson and Jacob Tremblay and like room it, like this was ridiculous wow. to kind of whittle down. And so I, most of these are really depressing films and <laughs> you're probably going to sense a pattern of what I like to watch, but here we go. Um, and also since this is my list, I can do whatever the heck I want because I'm about to uh, do something unconventional for my first two uh, picks. Uh, so my first pick um Uh, of the best performance of the decade, it's going to be a twofer because I cannot choose. And they both uh, share the screen equally. I'm going to go blue Valentine with Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams, uh, both. So uh, that was, I I remember when I sat in the theater and I saw that movie, I was by myself. I think it was the first ever. um, I still counted it as an NC 17 movie because they didn't really cut anything. They just got it appealed. So I counted it as my first NC 17 movie to see in theaters. And uh, it, it was just quite heart heartbreaking. It was, it was the film that made me uh, uh, recognize Michelle Williams as the talent and powerhouse that she is. And of course I've been following Gosling for years. And like, that's just such a different performance than you see him from like stuff like the notebook where you see him in blue Valentine where, <laughs> you know, he's slightly overweight and like he has uh, some bald spots and stuff. And like, this relationship is just kind of uh, this guy's ups and downs, but it's just really hard to watch. And it really kind of just raw and in your face. And uh, you're like I said, you're going to see a pattern in all in most of my picks. But it's just two devastating performances and a really great romance film that uh, definitely stuck out to me as uh, one of my favorites. Uh, like I said, I couldn't pick between either one of them. It's just it, it is both of their movies equally. So I'm just gonna say both for uh, Blue Valentine' is my first pick.
1: And this is one that I missed. I mean you you let me borrow it and I just let it sit there because I never could find the right headspace. I knew that it was a tough watch. Yeah and I could never find the right headspace to kind of just kind of sit there and, and <laughs> let it happen to me. I, I will watch it at some point, of course and I've I'm sort of like you I've got well, I've got an NC seventeen a couple of NC seventeen movies on my list. In fact, uh, we're just going adult all the way here. Um, but yeah, it's it's a blind spot, and uh, I'm going to go on the opposite spectrum with my first pick. My first pick is, I guess, I would say the lightest performance uh, on this list, which is ironic because it comes from an actor who's known for primarily for his very intensely dramatic roles, and uh, sometimes to a fault. I think that he, in fact, he took a couple of roles this decade perhaps because of the fact that uh, maybe three because of the fact that he had been kind of not criticized, but people have observed that he takes a bunch of intense roles, but I'm talking about my favorite performance from this actor uh, of his entire career. Uh, it's one that you mentioned as being an honorable mention, something that didn't make your list that maybe you were excited, uh, uh surprised by. And that's Leonardo DiCaprio in the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, I love I love this performance. I this performance just pops into my head every few weeks, particularly the scene where he's where his uh, Jordan Belfort is on uh Quaaludes and he is just trying to <laughs> crawl his way to his destination because he's I if I remember correctly, I haven't seen it in a while. I believe he's trying to get somewhere in a hurry, right? I'm pretty, yeah, he,
0: he he's trying to go back home because yes. uh uh Margo is trying to he's like She's like Jordan, get get your butt home, and he's just like, I can't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's all played in kind of slow motion photography, or uh, some of it is, and then some of it is just pure, like Marx Brothers, uh, Harold Lloyd comedy, <laughs> and it is, and it is one of the best film scenes. Like I don't know if we're gonna do like film scenes of the decade. I haven't really planned that, but. Um, But if we did, that would absolutely be somewhere near the top of the list, at least of the funniest scenes of the decade, because you don't expect it from DiCaprio. I mean, literally up until that point, he had been almost entirely in intense movies, and even his role in Django Unchained, where maybe he's a little more gregarious. I mean, he's playing you know a slaveholder. So a more intense role, definitely one that had a lot of anger. This one, he's just letting loose under the direction of Martin Scorsese. Uh, in this story of Jordan Belfort's rise uh, through uh, basically kind of the criminal underworld of high finance. Um, And I just loved every second of this movie. It was, it was from a director who is, was in his seventies at the time. And uh, I think he's still in his seventies, but anyway, working with a level of energy that you rarely see from, from directors of that age. Um, It felt like a 25 year old making his first movie and just being, let loose and DiCaprio's performance reflects that uh, you know, he's supported by great actors, but this was the performance that I wanted to win at the Oscars uh, for best actor that year. And, you know, they went with a very good one. Uh, Matthew McConaughey, I certainly have nothing against that performance, but uh, in, in Dallas Buyers Club, uh, but I just felt like DiCaprio really tapped into something that his, his career, maybe since his days on like a sitcom, like growing pains, he hadn't really seen that in his career yet uh, as an actor, and I just love that. So that's my first choice, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Wolf of Wall Street, one of just a couple of performances that I'm going to talk about that are more comic, or at least use comical uh, you know, aspects that, uh, that make them light, fun to watch. And uh, that was certainly the most fun to watch performance on this list. <laughs> so love it, love it, love it. Great film and uh great performance. And you're yeah. next one, sir. Oh yeah. So go ahead.
0: <laughs> no, I I was just gonna say that uh the physicality mm-hmm. of that man in that movie is just it's infectious. Like he is he is moving in every scene. He does not stop. Oh yeah. Like the energy I mean, I guess it's from all the cocaine, but all the energy <laughs> in Jordan Belford's character is really fun to watch. But yeah, that that's a great pick, man. Um yeah, so my uh, my next pick, uh, I'm gonna break the rules again. I'm gonna do another both answer. Don't worry, this is gonna be the last both, but it's really hard to do since both of them share the screen equally. Um, a quick story, uh, backstory on this uh, this particular film. I was talking with uh, someone that I met on YouTube who also did film reviews, and he brought up a, a certain trilogy, and uh, mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. never seen it before and so I actually watched all three in one night I was super tired and I only had an hour and a half of sleep and I went to work the next day and I said (laughs) you know what that was one hundred thousand million bajillion worth it because Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy in the before trilogy is just something to behold and I think before midnight is a great example of just how you can keep making these movies nine years later and they can still stick the landing and find a different window of time in these people's lives and it still be as prevalent and as intense as when you first started with their relationship. And that is Before Midnight. I'm going to go with both Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. It's, you know, the dialogue driven trilogy where it's just two people talking and the fascinating conversations that they all come up with. Um, it just it draws you in and Hawk and Delpy have that uh, likable sense to them as performers, and you just want to watch their every move. And this is the – it's the first one, right, that um, Delpy and Hawk got to co-write with Linklater, correct?
1: I think they did the second as well. Uh, but, okay. uh, but yeah, the it's interesting. The, first, the very first movie had Kim Krasan as the credited screenwriter, I believe, mm. uh, because Kim Krasan created the characters and then – they were developed by hawk and delpy and link but they i don't think that they got credited in the second one oh no
0: no no back no. this is where they got nominated
1: oh right 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 yes, yes yes that's right yes yeah that was their first nomination uh well-deserved well-deserved yes. nomination um and you know i i certainly considered them i think that like subconsciously almost i removed them because i didn't want to be in the same place as you having to choose uh, between them and then maybe put them both right. on there and that leaves space out for somebody else. And yeah, I mean, I, I totally get it though. I think that their best performances are in, are in before sunset. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I agree. But
0: once again, that's not in the, the decade that we're talking. About.
1: Right, right, exactly. I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, they're built, they're building on performances that they started giving in 1995. Mm-hmm. So yeah,
0: it, 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 I, I totally agree with Joel. If, if you guys watch the trilogy, please come back to us. Which one is your personal favorite? My personal favorite is still the second one. Yeah. Uh, Before Sunset. It's just, it's breathtaking. But all three of these are, I'm telling you right now, like all the people that love, you know, Boyhood and Days and Confused, I totally get that. Those are both great movies. And that's where Linklater gets, you know, most of his new people to kind of see what he can do, you know. But a lot of people just don't know about the before trilogy. And I, I will, I will talk about this trilogy until the cows come home. I will talk about it until someone gets tired of me talking about it. You need to watch these movies and just watch the delicacy in the master class of screenwriting and uh, staging and performances. And it's just it'll, something it's going to blow you away.
1: Well, you know, I'll put it the way our friend Mark did. He's a huge fan of these movies. Uh, I think that this was his number four of that year. Um, and then I don't I don't know if he fully loved Before Sunset. I know he was a big fan of it, uh, but. Uh, so, of course, so before it's okay sunrise,
0: if, it's okay if he's he's wrong. <laughs> right
1: before it's sunrise, okay I, I know that 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 one is a four star from him. But, um, but it, this is the way he put it, and this is why I love this movie. A lot of people find it a little more cynical, maybe a little a little colder. That's the point, and I'm going to put it the way that he did. Is if before sunset was kind of an examination of how a, a an extended period of absence can uh, can affect a relationship, then before midnight is about how an extended period of presence can uh, affect that exact relationship that we saw uh, develop over the course of 18 years. Right. And And
0: that, that, that cynicism actually plays uh, mm -hmm. well into the uh, age
1: jump. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, as they're getting older, they're getting a little more pragmatic or maybe they reached pragmatic in the second one. And now they're, now they've aged a little bit more. And so they're, they're starting to see the world for what it is and, and uh, developing worldviews based on that and based on their time together. And it's the fact that we can even talk about it in that terms is special. I just, it's great. And uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't have them on here, but I easily could have, I think that I would have absolutely nominated both of them that year. They were both uh, they both would have been on my personal ballot in actor and actress. And uh, yeah, love it. Obviously picture as well. And, and all of that uh, should have gotten more recognition. Uh, my next performance is actually one of kind of a two-hander as well, except that I really wanted to limit it, limit my list to having one performance from each movie, and that's where I kind of got into that conundrum with Before Midnight, is because it's so inextricably linked between its two actors. This one isn't so much that uh, I'm going with the with probably one of the more intense performances. I'm taking a break from from the light ones. And I'm going to go with Joaquin Phoenix in The Master. Uh, I know that you're probably going to talk about this one later on, but, man, this is absolutely the performance he should have won an Oscar for. Um, uh, He was nominated, but he lost to Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln, and as much as I love that performance, as much as I love Bradley Cooper in Silver Linings Playbook, it should have been Phoenix. Phoenix plays Freddie Quell, who is a military man who comes back from war to find that he he has absolutely no idea where he wants to go, or even whether he cares about that, uh, he's a he's a dangerous drunk. He drinks dra- straight from some really dangerous alcoholic supplies, and uh, finds himself embroiled in the kind of the uh, the personality of an L. Ron Hubbard type, uh, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, I just I love the way he tears into this role with such an intensity. Uh, particularly in some scenes involving him and Hoffman interviewing each other, uh, or it's an interview between Hoffman's character and, and, um, uh, character in which Hoffman's basically trying to lay the groundwork to dominate this man, uh, by breaking him down emotionally and, and psychologically, uh, and examining everything that, that he's about everything that is in his head. Uh, And I just think that it is a towering performance because by the end, you don't know which of these men is in control, Uh, particularly by, you know, Hoffman's final performance of a song. Uh, That's when it all comes to a head. You're not sure. And you don't know who the master is. You probably could have a good idea, I guess. But the fact that the director, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, um, uh, who directed him again this decade in in Inherent Vice – Another great movie, another great Phoenix performance. The fact that he has such control over this strange material that constantly swings for the fences big time uh, and succeeds is, is a pretty enormous thing to accomplish. But Phoenix's performance is just masterful. And I do mean that pun. Uh, thank you very much. So – yeah that's my next choice is joaquin phoenix and the master i assume that you're gonna pass on this one
0: <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm gonna take a inti beatsy, a little pass a little pass, <laughs> a, little pass. Little
1: slight. a little pass a little well i will say that uh that you know if i had been going in some sort of order this is probably my number two so i i probably kind of brought it out a little early but yeah i wanted to i wanted to cover that one next uh I'm just kind of working randomly from a list, guys. I I have my list open. It's not even in alphabetical order. I'm just picking a performance and talking about it. Uh, So there you go. All right. Well, what is your next choice? So my next choice
0: is a film that uh, kind of recently, uh, definitely within the same timeline as you joining the podcast, um, if that will uh, give you any type of hint, but it is one of the few films that I've actually – sat through all of the credits and just been in awe by what was happening uh, in the performance during the credits. And I sat there, watched that thing, and then when it was done and I walked out of there, I realized that this kid's going to go places and it annoys me to death that he is younger than both Joel and I and he's already beloved by a lot of people and he's getting a lot of work. But I mean that in the best way possible. I'm joking around. Uh, Timothee Chalamet and Call Me By Mm. Your Name. The the fireplace scene alone should get yep. into any conversation of uh, uh, this list, and you know that's at the very end of the film, and the credits roll over it, and it was a ballsy move to keep it rolling and to keep uh, Timothy like just in it, like he is unbroken in this taken, like it's just it's just kind of amazing that uh, he's trying to stay strong throughout the entire scene, but he is slowly breaking down, knowing that he can't you know, be with the one that he wanted to be. And it's just, it's, it's hard for him. And he's, he's at, you know, the younger age uh, to where he's, he's very vulnerable with his emotions. And you can, you can see that strength and vulnerability kind of play out in this like two face mentality uh, that he's pulling uh, with his emotions and in his heart. And it, it's all, it's all in his face, that single, you know, watery eye that he has that slowly develops into a tear that streams down his face. Uh, And now I'm just talking about the the fireplace scene. But if you want to talk about the whole movie, uh, he is the I think he's the driving force behind the relationship. I think even uh, slightly better than Army Hammer. I like them both together. But if I had to pick one, it's it's Chalamet. And he is the the heart and soul of that movie. That was where I first got introduced to him. And now um, I'm just loving to see this kid's career grow. But uh, this was the one that got me started on him uh but there's really nothing more to say it's just a wonderful romance tale um about these these two men um and definitely i know one of Joel's favorite uh supporting actor moments from that mm. movie uh with uh well, what's his name uh Michael Stuhlbarg. Stuhlbarg. I, yeah stuhlberg i i i almost said Stuhlberg, and i was like this doesn't sound right um <laughs> but yes uh it, it's just a a wonderful wonderful movie and then of course uh L- Luca Guadagnino coming out with Suspiria a year later, uh, in contrast to that, is one of the weirdest things <laughs> I've ever seen a director do. But uh, I, I like both of those films. But yeah, Chalamet and uh, Call Me By Your Name has uh, has left a, an imprint on my brain, and I'm glad it did.
1: It just barely missed my list. I love this performance. I mean, we talked about it. Uh, I'm actually going to go with it for my next choice. Somebody who has been enjoyably, like intertwined in something of a platonic romance with Chalamet uh, because she keeps appearing with him in movies Uh, and in fact the movie that I'm going to choose as my next performance he does appear in this film Uh, and that is Saoirse Ronan and Lady Bird Uh, yeah I talked about how this was my favorite performance of all of 2017 yes including Chalamet although he wasn't far behind Um, back when we reviewed or back when I uh, talked about the film in our top 10 of 2017 list Um, this is actually only one of, I think, two performances that in movies that came out since I started hosting the show uh, or co-hosting the show. Uh, But I love Ronan here particularly because it completely taps into her set of skills, which is to take a role and make it completely her own. She doesn't do anything obvious with her performances. She could have played this as that dreaded manic pixie dream girl that kind of came up in the 2000s and was overused by the end of that decade. Um, and she has the hair, she has kind of this carefree attitude that you, that you might attribute to somebody that fits that description, but she has been so generously written here by Greta Gerwig. who also directed the film based uh, slightly on her own life, uh, living in Sacramento uh, just after 9-11 happened. Um, this is sneakily a really good movie about post nine 11 life. I think, uh, just trying to find your way as, as priorities have shifted kind of in, in tremendous ways. And I just think that every moment of the performance is special. Uh, not only the fact that Ronan, an Irish American actress was able to hide her natural Irish accent in something that was extremely East coast, um, or West Coast, I should say. <laughs> West Coast. I'm, I'm on opposite sides of the world. Um, I love it. And I think that she is tremendously special. Can't wait. I can't wait to see what else she does. I, I think that, I mean, she's been doing a lot of really interesting stuff since Atonement. She's just had her fourth nomination. And um, she's tremendously talented. I can't wait to see what this new decade has in store for her after having gotten three nominations uh in five years this decade so yeah uh and of course she does you know appear with chalamet who plays a uh, something of a uh, of a boyfriend briefly uh for her and a uh, very different role from call me by Your name or anything else he's done because uh, he's also kind of a chameleon and and uh yeah so that is my next choice uh saoirse ronan the ladybird did this performance have any it was 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 Ronan like on your uh, among your fifty or whatever that you had uh, that you had created?
0: Uh, yeah, she'd be towards like the bottom, okay. <laughs> like the very bottom, because you know, you know, when we did the, the top ten list, Lady Bird, I think was like what my nine or eight mm-hmm. or something like that. So it was fairly low, and you know, uh, I think Mark and I were like kind of in agreement, you were definitely a, a lot more high than uh, y'all, we y'all, were, on it. y'all
1: were wrong, basically. Wrong. Yeah. I, I, I don't <laughs> think so, but uh
0: thank you for thank you for trying. But what I do uh, like about her performance is uh I guess her and Chalamet had something in common because in both of their movies their ending scene was like the the, the bow on top of this wonderful acting present that we got is mm. that phone call that she makes at the end oh, of the movie yeah. does does stick out to me. When she when so, she finally
1: reclaims her name. Because she's been right. trying to run away from her name for so long, and it, it attribute or it kind of um, for her it is attributed to rather drudge drudgery filled memories, and she wants to be known as something else. And finally, she's reclaimed her name, and she realizes how important that is. And yeah, I mean, it's just such it's a great scene. One of the oh, another one of the scenes of the year. I mean, that and, uh, <laughs> and Call Me by Your Name, both great movies with with phone call scenes. Um, you know, ending on phone call scenes. I love it. And and, uh, and,
0: and and I, I know I, I rag on Joel for liking it, you know, more than like me or Mark, but like, at, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but like finding a really good coming of age tale and like loving it is like one of the best things you can uh, mm-hmm. uh, find out uh, when you, when you, you watch a movie and you're like, this is my movie. Like, this is my coming of age tale that I'm going to love for, for decades on end. I mean, it, it's kind of weird to say, but like, that's how I felt like (laughs) my perverted self. When I watched like American pyre, like super bad for the first time, I was like, these are my movies. Not only, you know, uh, the coming of age and growing up, but like on a comedy level, like they're super important to me. And that's, that's what lady bird is to uh, Joel. He, he found like one of his favorites of all time in in terms of coming of age. So it's a special thing guys. Um, And so my next pick, uh, (laughs) you know, people are going to be like, really, you're going to go with this out of all of them that come out. It's like, I'm going to stick to my guns on this one. Um, And I I firmly believe that this movie is is one of the pinnacles of this genre. I think this performance and the supporting performance are one of the pinnacles of performances in this genre. I think this is one of the best in the genre, if not the best in the genre. And I'm, I'm comfortable with saying that Hugh Jackman, as his wonderful turn and final turn in Logan uh it is something to behold um when you look at what that man did back in you know uh 2000 and doing this comic book movie yeah it was really popular they did several sequels and he he was just he was instantly beloved uh you know after that movie came out like there there was something about him that people kind of gravitated towards uh they took a huge gamble on him because uh he was not american and they went with someone else but that person had to drop out so uh, Hugh Jackman was called ahead, and now look where he's at. And I think doing this kind of book in performance for Wolverine, it—I mean, people, people, you're you're gonna make fun of me for putting this on the list. Not Joel, but like maybe people listening. But if you watch that movie and you've been a fan of superhero films or you've seen this kind of genre evolve, the fact that something like this came out and it was as ballsy and as brave and Kind of just out there as it was, and the fact that it actually was directed with such ferocity from Mangold and he got two great performances out of it that, that's unheard of in the the comic book realm. That rarely happens. Um, we don't get you know, uh, Joaquin Phoenix and the Joker all the time, or <laughs> Heath Ledger and the Joker, or you know, Christian Bale as Batman or Robert Downey Jr. as uh, Iron Man, those performances, you know, they're they're not in every single comic book movie, but when you have something like Logan um, happen and it catches you off guard because Hugh Jackman has always been great as, as Logan. And this was, it was just beautiful, man. Like it's such a weird word to put with that performance, but it really is the whole relationship that he has with X-23 Losing certain people in the movie. I'm not going to say who, just in case if you haven't seen it, because you need to watch it. Um, You know, even with like Patrick Stewart and his performance, it's just stuff that you don't expect from X Men movies. But the fact that James Mangold decided to ground this out and make it more uh, about a human story, make it more of an old school kind of Western vibe, it's really kind of slow and drawn out, but we really get time with these people that we're hanging out with. It's just wonderful, dude. And I, I I don't think he gets enough credit for it. I know the movie uh got a you know adapted screenplay nomination at the Oscars, which is very huge in the comic book genre game, but I I, I think people I think people underestimate it a little bit. And I, I I do think it is one of the best of the decade. I think it is the um single Handed like best performance in that genre that of that decade. Like, if you want me to pick one from the 2000s, I would honestly or obviously go with like Heath Ledger. If you want me to go with the 2010s, I go with, um, with Hugh Jackman, and that's even over you know, like Chris Evans or Robert Downey Jr., because you know, we've had Infinity War and Endgame in this period too. I still would go with this performance, and so that's why I wanted to give a nod to it that's why i wanted to kind of bring it to the forefront amongst all these other choices in this genre it's my only comic book um movie pick but i just had to because it just elevated beyond belief and uh i think after playing that character for all those years that was a great note to go out on
1: but chase comic book movies aren't cinema i'm kidding no uh this is- hey, Joel, do you, do you want to die? Do you want to die? <laughs> uh, no, this is a great choice. Uh, you know, he's he's tremendous in this per- in this particular performance as this character, um, and he had always been solid. If the movie was solid, you know, I don't know, I don't think much of him in X Men Origins Wolverine, but I don't think he's trying as hard. Uh, here, he had great material to go along with it. So, yeah, really good pick. Really good pick. My, my next pick is probably going to take people people by surprise because I feel like this is a movie that was maybe a little bit left to, I mean, it was nominated for Best Picture, but I, I feel like it's seen as just kind of proficient entertainment. Um, and this performance was nominated but lost to another one and and all of that. But uh, yeah, I'm going with it. I'm going with Jeff Bridges in Hell or High Water. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, I love this performance. And I watched a few scenes of this movie, again, just to be sure that I wanted to include him. Uh, He would have been my best supporting actor pick for 2016, yes, over the other guy um, that won. Uh, This performance, I think, is very different from what he was doing with Rooster Cogburn and True True Grit. Very different from what he was doing in R.I.P.D., you know, all these kind of grizzled uh, voice roles. This one is, a, is as Marcus Hamilton, who's a sheriff, uh, who comes across a plot by two brothers, played by Chris Pine and Ben Foster, to uh, kind of essentially make money for themselves as, as they desperately need it at the time, and they decide to take it criminally. Uh, and he is caught in the crosshairs along with his partner, played by Gil Birmingham. But Bridges basically just humanizes this role and also brings to it a, a degree of levity, and also a degree of intensity that he's able to balance tremendously well at any given moment. He's also a really sharp actor playing a really sharp guy who who knows the ins and outs of investigations. And it was just a thrill watching Hamilton investigate the crime that, that unfolds. Seeing Bridges here kind of seeing the gears turn in his head and seeing him come to these these uh, conclusions about what was going on so quickly. And then it all comes together in this final scene, a confrontation between him and Pine that is, that just sent chills up my spine when I saw it initially. And I saw this twice in theaters. I saw it by myself uh, when I was originally going to see it with dad and those plans fell through. So I saw it alone and I was just knocked off my feet by how great it was. So within the next week, he and I saw it again and uh he he thought highly of it it was you know (laughs) it's his kind of movie so of course he was going to and and yet again i was just stunned it's my favorite performance of 2016 uh i think it's the only one here yeah from 2016 so i just i love his work in this i know it's going to surprise people but i think he is fantastic so i'm assuming that this is nowhere near your list but
0: uh <laughs> it, it, it is not but right. uh can you re- re- can you
1: reflect the the appreciation for something like this though I mean it's just, just... I
0: love I love that pick I love yeah. hell or high water I think that's uh that might be my favorite uh uh Taylor Sheridan
1: screenplay yeah yeah, yeah Same so, here I like it um, I like it even more than Sicario I, I you know I love yeah. Sicario but that didn't make my top 10 of 2015 this did make my top 10 of 2016 i yeah i I'm with you on that i think it's i think it's more uh there's a bit more of a humanity to this one Sicario sicario's about moral murk and the characters are kind of pawns and and all of that this one maybe some type of the same thing, but there's also a degree of desperation that makes the characters a little more human and i think bridges well
0: yeah and that brings that the leverage uh the desperation you're talking about is is really uh intense to watch fold out because I remember watching that shootout
1: mm-hmm. uh, in, yeah. in
0: the theater and I like I
1: could not breathe I one was of like, this one, is... one yeah. of the great shootouts of the decade uh, it's, it's I fantastic. also I also feel like this is a performance that's closer to uh, Tommy Lee Jones in no country for old men than, mm-hmm. than Rooster Cogburn there, there's a similar energy there although he's also not trying to just do Tommy Lee Jones in no country no. for old men you know there's there's also a different energy between their personalities I think that that Hamilton's a little more, a little more comical, a little more uh, self-deprecating and deprecating of others than Ed Tom Bell was in No Country for Old Men, but still, there's there's a similar kind of world weariness that I that I really responded to. And by the way, if we were to do t- uh, like top performances of the two thousands, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones in No Country for Old Men would be on that list, and it's possible that Javier Bardem would not. So that I, I just I find myself drawn to these to these characters. And I think that it's uh, I think that it's a tremendous, tremendous role. So that is my, yeah, it, cho- my choice. I know it's kind of out of, out of left field, but, uh, <laughs> but dude, who, who cares? It. Yeah. yeah I, exactly.
0: I, I, I love these, uh, these curve balls. Uh, Cause I, I'm, I'm going to throw a couple, probably, yeah, I might throw a couple at you and you'll be like, oh, I didn't see that coming. But uh, this one, you're, you definitely know it's on my list. So speaking of supporting performances, this is without a doubt, one of my favorite ones, uh, not only of this decade, but of all time, I've seen this movie probably four or five times at this point. His performance is still sharp, aggressive, in your face. And mm. I just love watching mm-hmm. it uh, uh, every single time. He was my pick for supporting actor that year. He was a lot to win. He won it. Uh, it was my favorite film of 2014. <laughs> I know what
1: you're talking about.
0: <laughs> yes, sir. I'm going with uh, Mr. J.K. Simmons and Whiplash. Uh, it is, that was a foregone conclusion. I knew that Whiplash was going to be somewhere, uh, spoiler alert, somewhere in a list of the best decade. I just didn't know where (laughs) it was going to be for best film or best performance. But this was a must. I remember when I saw – because I saw both of these back-to-back. I saw Birdman first, and then I saw Whiplash. So I ended with Whiplash, which was perfect because that ending uh, of Whiplash is such a uh, finite uh, ending – of uh, that movie that just watching that double feature was like so amazing. So, uh, but yeah, J.K. is just a force of lightning in that movie. Uh, The tempo scene alone gives me the chills just even thinking about it when, you uh, uh, you know, he's in Miles Teller's face and like, you know, uh, was it fast? Was it slow? And just that whole conversation back and forth, almost throwing the chair at him and missing his head, it's just... And then that whole final, um, you know, third act is just, it's some of the best editing I've ever seen in my life. And then, of course, you know, Mr. Cross won for this film uh, for editing, and rightfully so. Um, I still think it's the best thing Damien Chazelle has ever done. Mm. Uh, and that includes First Man. <laughs> yeah. uh, First Man is my second favorite, and then I go La La Land, but... This is still he cannot touch this unless he unless he can prove me wrong. This is the most watchable thing he's done it is the best constructed thing he's ever done. And he got one of the most career defining uh, performances, which is weird to say, because JK has been acting for decades. Mm. But this is the performance out of everything that he's done. Besides maybe the farmers commercials, that sticks out as <laughs> one of the best. Uh, and you that, don't watch
1: those the same anymore. I, just you, I just you really can't.
0: don't. Listen, when you hear when you hear uh someone uh say F U in a uh a, a band practice setting, and then you hear the peanut M M&M and M say a line <laughs> of dialogue, you go, I cannot believe this is the same person.
1: And so, he's, still uh, every, he's still the guy in every every single it. time. Every single it. time it is him. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so uh yeah, Whiplash JK, I mean, there's Wales can you say? He's just that performance is one of the best of all time. That's one of my favorite movies of all time and it's I would even rate this uh performance since we're doing this list below all the rest of my picks. So ah, Okay. So you know my picks are about to get more intense.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So this kind of would have might have been your number 10 or something if you if you'd ranked kind it. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And it's probably like 13 or 14 for me so it's up there i love that he doesn't play it simply uh it isn't just this loud aggressive performance there are moments where he's more calculating and uh and i love that he's he's able to dial it any way he wants to and um yeah i I love that movie uh it's kind of weirdly been getting a bad rap from some corners of the internet uh but but I love it. Oh, I love that is, movie. Is, and and the is it performance. because of the
0: use of the, uh, uh, F word?
1: Maybe so. Um, I think is that he, people he does, find him, he does one hurl
0: night. some, uh, in in, uh, insults at miles right. that are a little, um, a little aggressive, uh, to today's standards.
1: Yeah. I mean, he, he even uses a variation of mf'er, or, right. um, and that sticks in my head. Uh, that you wouldn't really, I mean, it's not even a word. It's not even something that is a word uh that's very interesting. Um But again, it's just him dialing that performance wherever he wants to go. So yeah, I've just barely missed my list. Was certainly on a draft of it at some point, but had to take it off. In fact, I'm actually going to go from your pick for the best. I don't know if it's your pick for the best performance in general of that year. Maybe it is. I'm not sure. But I'm going to go from your at least your favorite supporting performance of 2014 from a man to my favorite lead performance from a man 2014 yes i am talking about michael keaton and birdman or the unexpected virtue of ignorance i love this performance he plays Regan thompson who's a washed up uh, comic book actor who's decided to become a playwright by adapting um oh gosh who is it uh I forgot uh, some novelist that you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect. Uh, that's the whole point of the character. You wouldn't expect it from him. Uh, but anyway, it's a, it's a comedy. Uh, it's a very acid kind of acidic comedy, uh, but all done in one take, which is kind of the gimmick. Uh, but Keaton's performance is more impressive than anything else in the movie. And I, and I love the movie. So, That should tell you. I mean, it's such a well-honed kind of self-referential. Obviously, Keaton is known for being Batman and then mostly turning away from the superhero genre for many, many years until he came back uh, to it for Spider-Man Homecoming. But for many years, there, uh, almost 30 um, or uh, 25, if you want to be accurate. You know, he kind of swore that off. He didn't want to do it he didn't he felt like he would be far too attributed to it and he kind of wanted to get away from it. And that's what this movie's all about. So if you want to look at it as Riggan Thompson trying to get away from that, you can because this is a very laser-focused character study. But if you also kind of want to look at it as a meta thing with Keaton trying to get away from it through a performance as an actor trying to get away from it, you can do that as well and it's just as rich. Um it's one of the best comedies of the decade. I love this movie for, for many reasons. And one of the chief ones is Keaton, whose performance really revealed to me extra layers on a second viewing. I actually didn't appreciate this movie very much the first time I saw it. And I don't know why. I feel like I was probably in the wrong like headspace or, or mood. But I've seen it a couple times since then, and I still love it. I think it I, I did turn around big time on it. I feel like it was... Um, uh just so well well tuned to the tone of the movie it's different turns it's a great cast that's supporting him edward norton emma stone etc but keaton is at the center of it and he is tremendously funny i mean the the bravery that that one has to have to go out to actually go out into times square in one's underwear which is what he did because of a um I think is actually because of a mistake that was made to actually go out there and then walk through and uh, in a circle to get try to get back around to where he was locked out of just is awesome. I just I love watching it. He's so funny. He's so, uh, you know, human and he's so self-deprecating and it's just it's a great balance to watch. So, yeah, Michael Keaton, Birdman, loved it. Uh, Is this, is this anywhere on or near your list?
0: Uh, It is not, but uh, you know, I love Birdman. I love Mm -hmm. me some Birdman. Uh, Like I said, one of my favorite double features I've ever had in my life (laughs) watching that and whiplash back to back. Um, Yeah. There's really nothing more to say. My personal pick obviously would have been whiplash to win best picture that year. (sighs) Birdman, Birdman winning is not a bad pick. So uh, I, I like that quite, quite indeed. So JK Simmons was my favorite supporting actor, um of the 2010s and now i'm gonna do my favorite uh supporting actress performance Mm, and then the following two and then i'll do uh two great lead actresses and two great actors as my final four so that's how i kind of structured this thing so my favorite supporting actress performance uh i don't know if you know this but joel I love me some fences and I love Mm. me some Viola Davis. Uh, Nice.
1: Nice. Okay.
0: I saw that in a packed house and that speech that she gives towards Denzel to his face. And you see the authentic snot bubbles come out of her mouth Mm -hmm. and her nose. I was like, this is without a doubt, one of the best things I've ever seen. And I'm so glad she won uh, that year. Uh, that was where I think that movie was the first time I really kind of opened up my eyes and maybe want to pay attention to her more. Cause I never saw movies like the help, um, and some of her earlier things, I think fences was the first kind of major thing that I kind of recognized her with. And of course she had her, her, her show on ABC, but yeah, fences, man, uh, that is just – it is a powerhouse performance uh, for both of them, for her and Denzel, and, of course, Denzel directing it. And I think uh, a lot of credit has to go to him, too, pulling that performance out of her. I don't know how you do that, and I don't know how how you get someone to recite your lines like that and have have the fluids coming out of your nose and stuff and still do it. And it just – it you could definitely feel the pain in that entire speech. Like you can hear the crackles in her, uh, her vocal cords. Like it's just, it's the type of uh, performance that you just, you leave and you go, that's one of the best. And there's really, there's really nothing more to add. It's just, it's beyond that speech too. Uh, She's a really great um, um, back and forth with Denzel throughout the entire movie because they're married uh in that story uh and she she kind of just goes with the flow and does what she's told and that that speech that she gives to him, saying that you know she gave up everything for his dreams and you know what about her dreams it just it breaks your heart and uh it's it's one of my favorites so uh she would be my favorite supporting actress' performance of uh two thousand tens
1: nice nice uh yeah, I can't say that i even really i mean listen guys it, this is a this is a it's a terrible job to have to try to put all these in any kind of order. (laughs) And so of course you're going to overlook people. And I will admit I overlooked that, but uh, definitely great choice. Uh, And also her reaction to kind of the major twist of the narrative. Um, Yes. You know, that, that whole scene, that whole scene is played perfectly. And just, just kind of the, the silent, like, you know, Holy crap moments is is fantastic and uh yeah I saw that on Chris I think on Christmas night or at least it was our Christmas viewing experience I don't know if it was on Christmas day that I had with my parents but uh but yeah in a in a theater that like gives you food you know one of those uh, dine and eat kind of things and yeah I remember that experience really well uh my number my number my next choice <laughs> um this is going to take take some people by surprise because I actually had a different person as my choice for supporting actress in 2018, but the performance that I'm choosing here has stuck with me more. Uh, it's a movie that Chase, I'm pretty sure, is still yet to see, so I can cover it pretty quickly. Sakura Ando in Shoplifters. Um, this was my choice for the best film of 2018, and uh, Ando plays a the mother. Of, of this family unit at the center of the movie, which is a Japanese family living on the outskirts of Tokyo who takes in a little girl. Uh, when, when the father of the, of the family and the son of the family notice that she's, uh, alone on a, on a porch and, uh, with shouting parents inside, she's been neglected. They feel like they can give her a better life because they're desperate to try to do that. And they do so, uh, Ando's performance kind of takes the back seat in the first half of the movie. But once a certain truth about this family comes to light, and I'm not going to reveal it because I don't think Chase has seen this film yet. uh, Once that happens, the whole uh, whole dynamic of her performance shifts and it leads to an interrogation sequence uh, kind of. Not like a torture sequence, just an interrogation in a police department, uh, in, a, in a police station, that is absolutely crushing. And it kind of redefines the film's whole idea of family, and what parenthood is, and specifically in this scene, what motherhood is. And I just absolutely broke down. Uh, so this is probably, I guess, the first performance that made me cry uh of this although i do have another one to do that but um but yeah i just i love dondo uh this is a movie that chase you need to see uh whether i need to tape you to a chair to do it or what but it is i think still on hulu so otherwise kind of a hard dvd to find but it is on dvd as well I think blu-ray is uh, blu-ray too so yeah it's a great 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 performance um from somebody that i hope to see more of because i don't think i've seen her in anything else so yeah love sakura ando and shoplifters and chase you didn't see this one so uh
0: no i did not but it is currently sitting on my hulu queue and i'm sure someone from hulu will contact me and tell me to watch it or uh, someone by the name of joel copeland will uh come and burn this, my is, house down, this so. is true
1: that i i am i am in collaboration with them so uh, I knew it i I knew it you were a Hulu person,
0: <laughs> not a netflix person, so that yeah. that explains a lot uh so my next uh four uh in general are just gonna be uh two lead actress and two lead actor uh and these are the four that um are my favorite um uh in terms of just uh lead performances uh you know two females two and then males. I'm guessing I,
1: just like one of those happens to also be your top choice right yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) I'm
0: I'm, I'm a lead up into that and so uh I'll go uh lead actress here in just a second then I'll go uh lead actor lead actress and then I'm a I'm a well I guess it spoiled it I'm gonna go ahead and lead off on um the lead actor but so the first one I wanted to uh discuss uh speaking of 2018 you already know where I'm going with this uh my favorite film of that year uh good old hereditary how do you not put Tony Collette on there. Um, mm-hmm. That is the type of performance I always it will always haunt me. It still scares the crap out of me. There is the the image uh, if you guys have seen the movie the um, there is a dream sequence where she goes into her her kid's room and she lights herself on fire and the face that she makes with the combination of the fire uh, surrounding her and the dark uh, hallway behind her still gives me the creeps. Um, her her uh, dialogue that she has with her family at the dinner table, and how much pain and suffering that she's going through because this is a film about grief and loss of a child, and it's really hard on you know the parents and the siblings, and you know uh, don't even get me start on uh, uh good old um it's Alex Wolf right? I always get the Wolf brothers mixed up.
1: Yeah, Alex Wolf. Yes.
0: Okay. Yeah, Alex Wolf in that movie. Forget about it. It's it's too good. Like I I don't even want to discuss it because it's too good. But that kid doesn't get (laughs) enough get enough credit for that movie. But yeah, um, Tony Collette's uh, performance in that movie made me kind of reevaluate her career because I always thought that like she was good and like she would be in stuff and she was good and maybe I was just being ignorant because I never realized how good she was. But this was the first one that made my brain kind of rewire and go, "Hey, idiot." Please go reevaluate her other performances and just know that she's always been this good. But uh, me, as a horror fan, and seeing uh, what Ari Aster did with this one, making this more about uh, a family in grief and really kind of turning on its head, and with a a striking kind of performance from uh, Tony Collette, it's just I, I don't know how you you can't pick this. It's just it's too damn good and I, I, i'm still upset that she was never nominated for this movie mm-hmm. um it it, it it i knew she was never gonna win but um at least at with... least
1: to have been nominated yeah just right it, it <laughs> yeah. sticks
0: with you and uh she it's a very physical performance too like she mm-hmm. does a lot of weird things in that movie and you just think of someone of the prestige of like a tony collette you're like there's no way they would be game to do this weird kind of ritualistic horror film, but she did it and she totally delivered. So uh, that would be um, my first best lead actress pick of the decade.
1: And it's another one that escaped my list, but I totally respect the choice. It's a great performance. Um, My next choice, I think I'm going to go with, okay. My pick for the best actress of 2013 was not, Kate Blanchett in Blue Jasmine, although it was an actress in a movie with blue in the title. Uh, <laughs> Adele Exarchopoulos in Blue as the Warmest Color. This is the epic romance between Ex- Exarchopoulos' Adele, also named Adele, uh, and Leah Sidu's, um I actually forgot her character's name. I'm just forgetting names tonight, guys. It's just not my night. Um... Basically, this is this is based on a comic book. It's a very explicitly sexual movie. It's rated NC-17 uh, because of that, and it's three hours, so you got to spend some time with this romance that's essentially kind of doomed um, between two young women. And Exarchopolis plays one of those women, uh, subject of the movie and the comic book, which was named La Vida La Vida Adele. So it's about her, named after her. The movie isn't, but. The, the comics were. And um, I just, I love how pretty much how basically this performance is pitched entirely between states of aloof and stoic. She doesn't, she doesn't uh, express much in this performance yet. She expresses everything in the stillness of her face and the way that she Barely moves any feature of it except at the end when she is like with Viola Davis and Fences, snot crying um, in a in a uh, in a rendezvous in a in a a restaurant near the end of this movie. That is one of the saddest um, experiences I've ever had watching a movie. I watched this kind of, uh, you know, maybe not entirely by legal means, but um, it's because it never opened in Dallas. Uh, to my knowledge. And so I just, I love it. Uh, I know it's a movie that has a lot of controversy behind it, but for me, it's one of the most urgent and, um, and nuanced romantic dramas of the entire decade. I love it. Uh, it's a movie that's certainly in my top 25, whether it of the decade, whether it shows up in my top 10, you'll have to find out next week, but it's certainly in the running and, uh, Yeah. I loved every second of it. And her performance is incredibly special from the way that she eats spaghetti in one scene to, again, that's not crying to how she handles the love scenes to how she handles all of the reactions, including the initial ones of, of attraction. Just great all around. Um, yeah. Love this movie. Love this performance. Uh, is this one that you saw? I can't remember.
0: Yes, I did see this one. Okay. Um, I think I had to uh, <clears throat> watch it in the way that you maybe <laughs> did uh, because it, it, really, it really didn't. It didn't open up anywhere near us, and right. I, I heard a lot about and it.
1: I, 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 It was one of those I just heard such great things, and I was just like, you know what? I got to see this somehow. So I was like, hey, can somebody hook me up? And somebody hook me up? And there we go. So basically
0: what, what Joel's admitting <laughs> to is he and I did not have the willpower uh, to view it any other way.
1: Well, ironically um, enough, the handmaiden was another movie this decade that I did that for. So, yeah. uh, well
0: now, now, now you feel dumb cause it's on Amazon <laughs> prime now. Uh, right. But, uh, yeah, uh, blues, is warmest color is, is one of my favorites, uh, in terms of ro- once again, guys, I love my romance films. Uh, doesn't matter if it's straight gay, uh, whatever. I I love it all. And I love to explore different cinema in different countries and uh, French films, Italian films, German films, uh, whatever. I love it all. And I think, you know, since romance is kind of, or, you know, love is like, you know, the language everyone understands, you know, it's really easy to kind of pick up on films that are made in different countries like that, even if you're from the U.S. And it's just, it's such a beautiful film. That you can you know you can relate to it in some way shape or form, um, and yeah, for a movie that's like three hours long, it's pretty pretty amazing mm-hmm. on how it's structured. Um, I I I I fully get the complaints that the actresses had uh, with some of the scenes because right. some of them did run way too long. And when they when you hear the story behind it, it makes you feel kind of dirty watching it. Um, so if they want to sh- like shave those scenes down then uh, it would have definitely been fine. Um, But yeah, I totally get um, uh, if they felt uncomfortable and the director was slightly disgusting uh, because the way they described it, I'm like, really? Did you really have to make them do like 100 takes of that? Um, But yeah, uh, controversy aside, it's still a beautifully made film. So my second favorite um, lead actor performance, uh, 2011, And I paid money to see this in a theater. And it is, uh, you know, some people can look at it and be like, it's porn. Um, You know, I don't think of it as porn. Uh, I was in film school and uh, I was exploring, you know, just watching whatever I could to understand the language of film. Because that's what I was studying. And this was and the reason why it makes me so angry to talk about this is because. When I saw this movie, I thought this guy was going places. And to be fair, he has done a lot of movies since then. But he just doesn't do them as much anymore. And like he's so far and few in between movies now that it makes me believe that he was kind of run out of, uh, of the industry. And it's so weird because Michael Fassbender is one of the best actors I've ever seen in my life. And Shame is a really great movie to prove that. And I, I remember seeing that thing being blown away, and I was like, who is this guy? And of course, this came out the same year as X Men First Class, and um, this was like the year of the Fastbender, and he's been in stuff since then um, small stuff, big stuff. But it just seems like nowadays no one cares about him anymore, and that makes me so sad because uh, if you've never seen Fastbender at the height of his power, this is the movie. Right here, it's, you know, it's not an easy film to watch. It is also NC uh, 17. It's, it's, it's about a man his sex addiction, And you know, speaking of other great actresses that feel like they've gone by the wayside, and no one really appreciates, Carrie Mulligan's also in this, plays uh, his sister. She's also astounding in this movie. And I'm so glad that um, uh, one of her films that she's side note, one of her films that she's been in is going to Criterion. And she's got this great movie called Promising a Woman coming out. So, like, I'm glad that she's kind of, you know, getting her name out there again. But, yeah, this movie introduced me to kind of both of them. And uh, I was just kind of blown away by how vulnerable Fassbender was in this movie. He gets fully naked in this thing. He does some pretty, you know, hardcore acts in this thing. Now, it's all, you know uh simulated it's not um uh it's not real or anything but it feels so real and so devastating because this is a man who has lost control of himself and you know his sister's trying to help him and you know his his condition is just it's just not good it's not healthy he, he literally tries to screw everything that he can you know find and talk to uh guy girl whatever like he he just cannot control himself so it's a very serious film about addiction and it's not a light movie it is a heavy heavy movie but if you want to watch oh and i forgot to mention Steve McQueen also mm-hmm. first time uh, i was introduced to him and of course he won um for 12 years a slave uh, a couple years later so he dominated then and uh, of course the very criminally underrated uh widows mm-hmm. uh please go see that um but Shame was the first time I was introduced to that, too, because I never saw Hunger, uh, the other film he did with Fassbender. But yeah, it's it's a wonderful film uh, on a performance level and a directing level. It's very hard to watch. But I think in terms of movies I've seen about addiction, this is probably one of the more honest ones I've seen. And uh, Fassbender completely kills it. And it just makes me so angry, Joel, that he, he's just kind of he's just going away. Like I just I don't see Fastbinder that much anymore and even if he's in stuff, people just don't care. And uh Shane was the the one I thought was gonna do it, but um I'm hoping people can go back and see this so they can just see how great he is.
1: Well, ironically enough, I was gonna be talking about this performance next. Uh so this is this is also my next choice. Uh I love Fastbinder. I love this movie. I saw this movie because of you and I thank you for that. Uh, you you lent me this one. Um, and I've since bought it. So yeah, it's, it's tremendous performances in a tremendous movie. It's very hard to watch. I mean, in some ways, in some ways, it's honestly, even it's an even like more forbidding watch than 12 years of slave was. <laughs> there's, there's elements here of just like, in terms, just in terms of one man's, one man's shame, uh, literally the title. It goes. It goes to some truly, truly dark places. Um, so yeah, I mean NC Seventeen. It's not. It's not an arousing movie. It's just. It's just explicit, and it needs to be. And, uh, and
0: yeah, I think that's a, that's the thing that people have to realize. It's mm-hmm. not a, 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 for a movie that's like purely about sex addiction, and there's a lot of sex scenes in it. It's actually not sexy at all. Like it's really right. sad to watch.
1: Yeah, exactly. It just happens to be so explicit that they went with that um, that rating and, and it earns it, uh, certainly, but it is, it is truly something else. I mean, it is, yeah, uh, it's, it's a, it's a near masterpiece. Uh, I think it was only like my number four of 2011, but it could easily have been higher certainly in, in the running for my top 20, uh, you know, of the, of the decade. And, um, yeah, I, I, I love this performance. I think that, uh, you know, this is, this was is the year of Fassbender and Mulligan. I mean, obviously, in Chastain, but she's she's not on my list. But uh, uh, she had like nine movies that year, <laughs> or something. Fassbender had a few. He was in this. He was in X Men. There were a couple of other things. And then, of course, Carrie Mulligan was in this. She was in Drive and some other yep. things. But yeah, Joel, I, did
0: you did you know that Shame is a Disney movie?
1: Oh God! <laughs> it is now a Disney Disney's, movie. Now. <laughs> Disney's Shame. Wow, that's.
0: It is a Fox searchlight
1: or a searchlight picture, searchlight pictures, searchlight chase searchlight. Okay. So, uh, (laughs) so it's just so funny that, that that's uh, what you're going to talk about next, uh, because that's what I was going to talk about next. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and go to my next one. uh, Since I was, since I was kind of extending on your thoughts, I'm just going to go to go ahead and go to my next one, which is the best performance of 2014 um, of all of them. Keaton might have been my best, my favorite male performance, but this one is my favorite performance. It's a movie that absolutely knocked me off my feet when I finally caught up with it, just like two years after it came out, and that's Marion Cotillard in Two Days, One Night. Uh, this is the film from directors Jean-Pierre and Luc Dardin. Uh, Cotillard plays Sandra, who is a woman who has been told basically... Uh, Her coworkers were given a choice between having bonuses given to them or having that money uh, accrued for her for her raise. And they chose the bonus and she desperately needs it because she is suffering from pretty severe depression. Uh, It's not a movie that is like enormously cinematic. It's incredibly schematic. In fact, she just goes around making her case to people learning that they might have their own reasons for why they are not giving her the money learning that some of them might be able to be you know uh uh convinced to switch their vote um but this is not an easy movie because it doesn't just say well Sandra needs the money and that's that other people also need the money for various things and we see that and it's the ultimate sympathetic test what would you do in this specific circumstance i don't know what chase would do i honestly don't even know what i would do i would have to be presented the situation um i can't even think about it um uh you know theoretically which is not a an easy thing to say i would like to say that i would give that money but you know i don't have that much money myself i can't you know in that situation one typically thinks of oneself and this movie is the ultimate litmus test for that particular impulse, uh, and I just think that the layers of Cotillard's performance are tremendously, like, just shattering. Honestly, beautiful. Uh, she definitely, um, kind of had followed this, uh, followed up, you know, with this performance. She had followed up a couple of big ones that she'd had in, you know, movies like Inception and uh and the dark knight rises and she had a role earlier that year with the immigrant in which she was very good as well but two days one night is a great film it's my number 2 of 2014 um and i just i love it i and i love her performance uh it's not an easy watch very 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 much downer movie but uh but incredibly rewarding especially on her performance uh and the level of her performance so uh, this is this one that you saw. I actually don't know if we've ever talked about this movie. But, yeah, um,
0: I, I actually saw this one, and I remember I remember liking it. I probably would need a rewatch of it because I don't remember it much. But uh, right, yeah, I remember I remember liking the initial viewing. So at least okay. that's something.
1: And she's great. Uh, she's she's great in it. So all right, well that leads us to your. I think is it your? No, no, no. It's your second pick. I think after this, after your pick, I'm going to go ahead and go to my pick. Uh, for the best. So go ahead. I think it's your, your runner up.
0: Yes. Yeah, so uh, the runner up, I'm going to go with, uh, uh, I, I, now listen, I could be totally wrong in a couple of years. I could totally uh, go the opposite direction with this, but I think um, what I'm going to do in terms of picking this performance out of this actress's filmography, I'm going to go with my initial uh, pick that I had before I saw, her newer one, uh, which could rival it, rival it in the future. But I, I honestly believe uh, that Under the Skin mm. might be Scarlett Johansson's best movie, maybe best performance. Not entirely sure. Marriage Story might beat that, but I think for right now, I'm going to say that Under the Skin is the whole package in mm. terms of best performance and uh, uh, best movie of her filmography and the thing that still sticks with me and still haunts with me to this day is yeah she plays this alien and she doesn't really show off that many emotions for probably the first half she's very uh very direct she's just following orders. she's very militant and that does take some skill and she does that uh in a fine job but there's certain moments that she, you know, she views when she's on earth and she's just kind of wandering around and she slowly starts to break and she slowly starts to feel the weight of humanity and just how evil and cruel and disgusting it can be. That's when her, her facial expression starts to change. That's when her whole uh, physical demeanor starts to change. She, She starts to become more human. And one of the images that still sticks out to me to this day, I've seen the movie maybe only three times, but Uh, it's at the very very end and you guys have no idea what the context is so Mm. uh, it doesn't really matter it's when she is in her full uh, natural form crying on her knees in terms of how bad uh, uh, that situation she was uh, you know before she got uh, down on her knees it just it's the it's the type of thing that you know when you see her journey from start to end and you realize where she started and you're like, okay, she wasn't really getting it. She was just, you know, uh, doing her thing and following orders. And now she has understood why uh, humanity can be terrible sometimes. And just her breaking down like that as this, uh, you know, alien, this you know entity that doesn't even belong on earth, like you start to feel for her. And you're like, holy crap. This is Scarlett Johansson uh, all the way. Like this is not this is not anyone else. She is in a a a latex suit. This is her performing this, and you can feel every single inch of that emotional barrier kind of coming down as she's starting to have this realization. It's just it still haunts me to this day because it's it's uh, it's it has a snowy background, so her Mm. black kind of body like sticks out even more. It's just. Oh dude, it, it it gets me every time. And uh I, I know that she plays Black Widow and people love her and the big stuff, but man, she has really shown herself in this movie and her as a great supporting uh voice performance and of course with marriage story and then you know JoJo Rabbit's like dude, people I don't think people realize like how good she is and watch something uh as weird as under the skin. And I think you'll understand like just how much she can bring to her role. And so I, I think that is my favorite uh, lead actress performance of the decade, and that is my second runner-up.
1: Well, it's probably my number 11. Surprisingly enough, I don't have it on this list. But, um, but I agree with everything you said. I, I think that her best performance for me might be Lost in Translation. Uh, That's a good one too. Yeah, which is which is a great performance. Uh, she had been building up to the whole thing where she had two nominations in one year. I think she was. Right. I I always predicted that she was going to be nominated for an Oscar before anybody was maybe ready for it, <laughs> uh, and certainly that happened uh, this year. And 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 I couldn't be happier for her. Uh, but you're right. I, and in that last scene that you're talking about, or that scene that you're talking about, she the the figure is looking at something in that scene uh, when she is kneeling down and let's just say there's an element of a dual performance and I'm not going to say anything else. um, If you remember what, what that figure is holding at the time, right? uh, which is also impressive. I mean, to get, to get that moment, that both moments, uh, the, the kneeling moment and the thing that she's looking at and what, what Johansson certainly had to do to capture that. It's just, a very weird performance, weird movie. I'm going to be talking about it next week, let's just say. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a great movie, great performance. All right. We've reached my choice, guys. What is my choice for the best performance of the 2010s? It's one that has stayed with me as my top choice for about eight years. And, I, you know, I even, like, I think I even remember saying to someone, hey, 2010s, I dare you, like, sarcastically, hey, 2010s, I dare you to give me a better performance as this because I don't think that you can. And in fact, as good as, everything, as everybody was uh, for the rest of the decade, and some of them came out, uh, most of them came out after her, uh, I don't think anyone topped this performance. And it's not something that a lot of people have seen, but I want to, uh, I know that Chase, I'm pretty sure that Chase saw it, don't know if he appreciated the movie as much as I did. I can't remember, but I'm talking about Anna Paquin and Margaret. That is my choice for the best performance of the whole decade. Um, so Margaret is a film from director Kenneth Lonergan, who later brought us Manchester by the sea and had previously co-written the screenplay for gangs in New York. Also directed. You can count on me also wrote the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. I'm just going to bring it up. But uh, in this movie, Paquin plays Lisa, a young woman who is involved in the accidental death of a passerby when she distracts the driver of a bus, played by Mark Ruffalo. Um, And the ensuing investigation causes a lot of strain for her. Uh, And she kind of starts to unravel a little bit, although this is not a psychodrama in any way. It's very much a drama about grief and guilt and... What we do when faced with those things, especially when we don't want to reciprocate any sort of compassion for many other people. She really tests a lot of people's patience in this movie, including the audiences, perhaps. It's very much a movie about whether or not you can stand the main character that you're watching. But if you can ride, you can ride this ride with her and you can, and you can, um, uh, and you can take her then you're in for a rewarding experience because Paquin is crushing in this movie. Um, Lonergan has a very specific kind of dialogue pattern. Um, It's not like any other. It's not like Sorkin. It's not like Mimit. It's a lot more naturalistic than that, but there is also a slightly heightened quality too. The words that his characters choose to say maybe don't come in the order that you anticipate and that's very much on full display here and it might have to do with the fact that Lonergan is primarily a playwright Um, his movies are structured like plays they often run the length much shorter sometimes than his plays do I've never seen one of his plays they typically play only in New York they don't really have any life anywhere else Uh, but I've heard tremendous things about them and this one kind of has that type of structure although there's I'm going to put it away that a, a critic I love put it. Um, There's way too much thematic um, messiness for this ever to have been a play. Um, I, I, it's not as clear cut as something can be on stage. And I think that it can only have been a movie and it's a really one heck of a movie. One of the best of 2011, one of the very best. And this is another one that I'm going to be talking about next week, possibly in the part two the films five through one uh, of the decade, and I just think it's a tremendous act of uh, performative bravery on Packwood's part because you gotta be willing to spend time with this person, um, and you can. I mean, it's it's uh, you're able to, but you know, some people might check out early. She's not. She's not exactly the most you know sympathetic presence. But Paquin really knows how to play this as a young woman trying to find her way in the world. I mean, it's very much like Lady Bird in that way. There, there, there's a lot of uh, connecti- connective tissue between these two movies. They are both post 9-11 movies. This one, of course, famously was shot back in 2005 before entering a six-year kind of span of uh, being mangled in post-production and being in uh, a pretty like uh, horrible legal battle. Um, that resulted in a couple of different edits that you can find on the DVD and Blu-ray um, double pack. Um, I think that both of them are great. I guess on, on balance, the theatrical cuts may be slightly better. It's 150 minutes. So just know that it's two and a half hours. That's again, uh, typically what his plays run. Uh, the longer cut is over three hours and it's uh, a little harder though. fills in some of the gaps like a, Subplot involving a teacher, um, uh, subplot involving an abortion that didn't even make it into the, atri- into the theatrical cut. Whatever. Uh, I've watched this movie a couple of times. It's one that I have to be in the mood for. I can't just pop it in. It's a very, uh, it's a very tough watch, but it's got a great cast. Um, you know, in addition to Matt Damon, it's and Mark Ruffalo and Anna Paquin. It's got Allison Janney. She's the one who dies. It's got Jeannie Berlin as the deceased sister. Um, Jay Smith Cameron as as Paquin's mother, uh, Kieran Culkin shows up in this. Um, he doesn't age, so of course he looks the same. And uh, yeah, I just I love it. I think that it's a uh, it's a it's a near masterpiece, if not one. I, I think it might be a masterpiece, and this is certainly a masterpiece of a performance. It's the one that moved me the most uh, this this decade, and I'm sticking with my guns. I love it. Um, so yeah, Anna Paquin and Margaret.
0: Yeah, I remember because uh, you 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 pressured me to watch it, and usually I, it takes Joel like maybe six or seven years of like pressure me to watch a film. <laughs> so uh, I got around to it, and uh, I think I watched the extended cut. And yeah, I I remember liking it. Um, I guess it's just it was just one of those things to where I saw it, I liked it, I kind of moved on, and it just it didn't have that staying power as it did with you know people like you and stuff. But I still respect him uh,
1: just just so you know folks I, that that's completely impossible so uh, just, just so you know <laughs> I'm no, kidding. no that,
0: that, that's very possible um, <laughs> no looking at his filmography while you were talking is really fascinating because he wrote gangs of new york and mm-hmm. then he, he took a, a a nine-year break you know but you know mark uh, margaret had a, a lot of problems like you said uh but it was officially dated in 2011 then he took off uh, five more years than Manchester by the Sea, uh, and yeah, it's just it's just crazy. All, all the he's like a, a Terrence Malick almost. Yeah, he like doesn't he doesn't
1: at least in the film world he doesn't hurry to work. Uh, he, no, he, he does, does not. A, he does a lot of plays. He's extremely active in the play in the in the theater world. So I think he's done a couple of plays even since uh, Manchester. But yeah, in the film world, I mean, he's primarily a playwright, so he doesn't he doesn't focus on that. But uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, go that,
0: that, um, uh, one quick question before I move on to my pick: Did um, in uh, that film did Anna Paquin have any lines? <laughs> oh, God. Did did she uh, was she able to speak?
1: She was silent the entire time. It was, okay, it I was just
0: I was just making sure. Very uh,
1: interesting. I mean, yeah, just silent the whole time. Uh, okay,
0: well, uh, <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, obviously, Kenneth hates women. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna leave it like that. Uh, no, uh, the whole Anna Packwood thing in the Irishman is hilarious. Uh, so my pick, uh, as you guys can tell, I have not discussed it yet, um, because I passed on it like uh, a long time ago. Yes, it is Joaquin Phoenix and the Master. I, I seriously think that, uh, he should have won his Oscar for this. Uh, yes, even over, uh, DDL for the Lincoln. Um, you know, when he won for the Joker, um, last weekend, that, uh, I just replaced uh, Joker with the master and I put my own fantasy mind that like he just won for the master after eight years. So, uh, I'll take it. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those uh, really heartbreaking performances of a guy who, who is a veteran who has PTSD and, you know, typically when people come back from the military, they're just, they're not treated well in society. And that's an unfortunate thing. And he doesn't know where to go. Like he's just lost. And, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman um, sees him, uh, takes advantage of him. And it's like Joel said, it's like this cat and mouse game, this mind game of like, who is the master? Who is the one taking control of the situation? Is it Philip Seymour Hoffman, his tactics to recruit people into this weird religious uh, (coughs) Scientology uh, (laughs) uh, group of people, or is it uh, um, Joaquin Phoenix turning it around and, schooling him towards the end we don't know but uh it's uh it's a slow burn the music from uh greenwood is is uh, mesmerizing the performances all across the board including uh amy adams are is also great i think it's uh one of pta's best um, should have
1: won supporting actors
0: yeah yeah I, I think everyone i think everyone should have won i think all three of them should have swept that year. yeah yeah for sure uh, in, a, in a perfect world but uh mm-hmm. yes uh the master is um I'd say it's a, a a top five for me uh, for sure. Maybe a top three. I'd have to. I'd have to really think about that list uh, off the top of my head. But um, I love PTA as a filmmaker, and uh, seeing the master in theaters was an experience. And that was the film where I was like, you know what? I've always been a fan of Phoenix, but this is the one where he loses himself in the role. And you know, there was a clip going around online uh, after his Oscar win for the Joker. Um, and when he's talking to Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in The Master, and he's sl- you can see the, the switch, um, happen, uh, in his, in his, uh, performance where he's having a conversation with him, but he's slowly, uh, uh, Hoffman's like manipulating him in the moment, and you can see him switch, uh, from being this, uh, totally normal guy having a conversation and then like, you can feel like something take him over, mm. and then like you just—he's under like his his uh, his spell now, almost. Like so. the
1: scene in the department store where he starts like uh, trying to straighten the tie or whatever it is, and then he starts yeah, right. choking him with the tie, which is yeah. Kind of- by, by the way, people underrate how funny this movie is too. Uh, yeah, It's a it's dark a, comedy.
0: Yeah, It's a very – yeah. Very uh, dark comedy. Uh, <laughs> j- j- just like with uh, Phantom Thread. Um, yes, exactly. Also yeah.
1: fantastically funny movie. So.
0: <laughs> right. P.T. has a weird sense of humor. I, I seriously mm-hmm. think uh, we're going to hear about this in books one of these <laughs> days, but I, I seriously think that – His marriage that, to Maya yeah, Rudolph. I, I, I'm telling you, Maya Rudolph <laughs> has so much influence on that man people do not even know. Yeah. She is the she is the puppet master behind his uh, his comedic stylings and sense of humor. I will bet you money on that. I mean, so. it's sort
1: of like Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig. There's exactly there's, there's obviously an energy that's that's rubbing off on each other, like mutually. And so when Maya Rudolph comes into a movie, no matter how broad it is, she's usually kind of deadpan. Uh, right. And so I have to wonder, and it's and it's been more recently, so I have to wonder, you know, is that Paul Thomas Anderson kind of the de- the deadpan humor that probably is a result of their their household, and then he had made all these. You know, there will be blood is not funny. There's, there's, there's <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, there's there's a couple of like really darkly comic things in there, but it's a drama. It's primarily a drama, and I think that broadly speaking, I think he's made three comedies this decade, and I and and the master is probably the most serious of them. But yeah, there's there's a lot of funny stuff in here. And it's just and kind Harry of nice as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very funny movie. Uh, that's almost, you know, Wes Anderson kind of level humor uh, in that one. And, and then you have Phantom Thread, which is very much funny, like the comedies of the 40s were um, some of those uh, the high end ones. And yeah, I mean, he is just he's another master of tone management. Uh, and it's and it's tremendous. I, I just yeah, love this movie so much. So yeah, it's
0: it, it's one of the best of the decade and it just upsets me that uh uh but once again I have to look at this uh in, in a optimistic light and not be so angry about it. If, you know, uh someone wins for a movie like Joker, it gives me the hope that people will go search out mm-hmm. Joaquin's yeah. other movies. That's I mean, the only thing I can vote
1: for. Especially because that's kind of the good thing coming out of a lot of people's kind of including mine. The snarky statements that, that that people will bring up, like "I'm glad he finally won for the master," because if, if you mention that enough, then people will actually go see it and see what you're talking about, uh, because it's right. it's such a great great performance. And just one final note on the Oscars that year, I think I think personally they got Best Actress right. I was I was voting for Jennifer Lawrence. I know a lot of people were voting for Jessica Chastain. I was voting for Jennifer Lawrence and I feel like it should have been Jennifer Lawrence for silver linings and then everybody else for the master. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. you know, cause they didn't have a main actress um, nominated, but yeah, I just, I love it. It's a tremendous movie. I, I mean, you know, if I had not been able to see Margaret, which it was kind of hard to do so because it was a very limited print Blu-ray, then I probably, I mean, obviously, you know, Joaquin Phoenix would have been my number one choice. Uh, he's certainly my number one choice among male actors uh, this decade. And I, and I, and I love the choice. So yeah, great performance. Um, all right, folks, that's it. That's our show. Those are our f- picks for the best performances of the 2010s for what, for whatever it's worth. <laughs> uh, obviously there's going to be a lot that we overlooked uh, probably on your lists. You know, let us know what performances you loved. Um, Cause we can only choose 10 guys or 12 or like, I guess twelve in, in, uh, in Chase's case, but um, yeah, so next week we have uh, a special episode. We're not reviewing anything. It's going to be our episode counting down each of our choices for the ten best films of the 2010s. It's going to be great because we haven't you know we haven't talked very much in depth about them, uh, but we will have a very special episode for it. So, yeah. All right, that's it. If you want to find my writings, you can find them at joelonfilm.com. If you want to follow my ramblings on Twitter, it's at RealJoelCopling. I will also soon, I, I also have bylines at dallasmoviescreenings.com and very soon, spectrumculture.com. Very excited about that. Um, you can also search me on Letterboxd, and that's where I am on the internet. Chase, what about you?
0: Yeah, if you guys want to follow the uh, podcast, it's at realme and podcast on Twitter. If you guys want to follow my personal uh, Twitter account, it's at Real Chase Lee. And of course, we are hosted here on anchor.fm. If you guys want to leave a uh, voice message for us or if you want to donate to us, whatever, all those links will be down in the description below. Please like this episode, share it around, and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to. If you were new to the show and you decided to take a chance on us, hopefully the show was not so random that we scared you off to where you cannot <laughs> come back next week. Uh, but we we hope you had a good time listening. But yeah, this is episode 314. Uh, We covered the the photograph, the best performances of the decade, and then of course next week for 315, the best films of the decade is finally here. We have thought about it. We've made our list. It's uh, it's time to go, folks. So that will be uh, it for this episode. Next week will be awesome. We'll uh, we'll see you guys then. Uh, I am Chase. That is Joel. uh, And yeah. uh, it's been have, fun. Uh, yeah, have <laughs>
1: yeah. Have a good week.
0: Yeah. Have a good week. Yeah. Like I said, I'm completely out of it, guys. Uh, good, old, good old drugs in the head will just mess you up from surgery. So, all right. So, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye.
1: Bye.